anytime you can do something that's fun, you like to do it and make money doing it, hey, it's a win-win-win. And anytime you can win-win-win, you're win-win-winning, you know? If you're just winning or win-winning, that's, that's just winning or win-winning. But when you're win-win-winning, you're win-win-winning. the little dog inside in yeah. that will really look good with my jeans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elegant. Well, I mean, I often wonder too. Not it's as many times a day that Doug does. No, Doug's more concerned with it by far than anybody would know. <laughs> the mailman just threw shit at us through the door. Mail lady. Oh, lady. I'm sorry. I didn't see her. Him. It. Whatever. Will can't handle it. He's got to <laughs> see what it is. Oh, well, somebody's got to pay the bills around gotta here. Got to see Paul. it. <laughs> Well, well, you already can tell what it was. It was like a a no-gooder. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he, did, he just left it in the floor, by the way. He walked over there, saw what it was, and just <laughs> walked away. Will, Will loves a good water bill. We'll get to that eventually. I can't imagine the water bill here is too crazy. I mean, well, it's crazy paying sink. it. It's almost like they don't even want the money. Oh. Well, you can do it online. I pay mine online. Well, no. It's just Will... Don't you have some it, it, fiasco you go through? It's something that like they can't pull up our account on the website, so I have uh, to call the phone, <laughs> on the phone, and then it's automated, and then I have to type in like type in your social security oh, number. Yeah. It's like, and it's like press pound to confirm, and then the lady she always does like four, seven, and then there's two numbers like she's always like questioning me. It's like four, seven, two, <laughs> yeah, <that's right>. three. <laughs> It's almost nice. like they've had two different people recording uh, it. Oh, yeah. Like, we, we love the way Sherry says that we're going to keep the three and the seven. But you know what? Yeah. But Janine has the eight and the nine dialed in perfectly. Nine? <laughs> I wonder who they pay. Like, you know, it had to have been a person that, that they paid to do this, like, voice stuff. Uh, I mean, like, would you just sit there in a room and, like, Nothing's for a, free, Michael. B, C. That had to be the most boring oh, job on God. the planet. Oh, my God. But you pro- they probably got 500 bucks for it. Hey, uh, Cheryl, the uh, B through D was really good, but that A was weak. So let's go back and start over. Let's get some excitement. Let's do some Z. Let's do some Z. <laughs> get, get ready. Here we go. Well, sitting across from me, I got Will Abbott. That's right. He's been a real dick today. <laughs> <laughs> and then to my left, at about 11 o'clock, I got Michael Benson. Yeah, coming in at 11 hot, son. I don't I get, know. I've been getting Paul so flustered about everything. It's hilarious. And then I, I, I find things to pick on him about. And he's like, you know what? You're not going to get me flustered. I get him flustered about getting flustered. <laughs> what am I supposed to say? You're not going to get me upset about it. You're not supposed to say it like this. 
Will, I already did. I am not going to answer because if I do, you will fluster me. So I don't know how else to fucking answer it. But anyway, Uh, uh, poking poking the old ginger bear. So it's been about. Are you at the flood tide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, We're here. We're here at the flood tide. I love it. Never gets old. Well, you, did you see our sign on the side of the I house? I did. I saw your your billboard you painted. Um, yeah, you'd think you were a painter or something. It looks good. Will's like looking up at the wall. Yeah, like, oh, like, no, he's, no, trying, to, he's trying to see it through the brick. Uh, <laughs> we got a mirror that way so we can see it. Yeah. Oh, that thing was a bitch to hang too. Uh, oh, I bet you we had do, never like, the little counter sinks into the the masonry. Well, well, after the third time we went to Home yeah, Depot. <laughs> yeah. Well, we found a masonry bit, so we're yeah. thinking the masonry bit would chew through mason. Did it, Will? No, the masonry chewed through the bit. Like we was, had one bit that just broke on us. We <laughs> we had three failed bits. Two broke. One was terrible, and the the big one actually worked. Yeah. So you basically it's like it's like hanging draw. You just tap a hole. You pound in the little uh, expander thing, yeah. and then run a screw or bolt in. Oh, line. I can hang signs all over this damn building now. I got it down now. But uh, yeah, it's been what I think safely like three weeks since we've recorded. We didn't. It's been a while. Yeah, because we didn't record the week before I left, and obviously I well, wasn't here. We had here Doug's either. wedding, then you left, yeah. and then you also had a bunch of work. Like you couldn't record the week. Well, we I, yeah, I had like one day that, we, and it didn't work for anybody else. So, and then we had to squeeze this in because we got a. Uh, I'm pretty excited about it. Oh, Rich Gale coming in today. Yeah, that's gonna be cool. Uh, you might want to tell him. Yeah, who he Rich pitched is. for seven seasons between the Royals and the Sox. I think is that right, Will? Royal Sox, he was also with the Giants for one year, and I believe Cincinnati, and uh, let me see, it was some Japanese base, baseball team, like the Hootsamaro Tigers. Um, that's like the big time one, the Tigers. I think so. Let me pull it up. So he's going to cre- creep in here around three, um, talk to him, probably just have him on for a couple of segments. Just I want to hear some just 80s baseball. So just... stay next to your radio at three o'clock. <laughs> Which means nothing. <laughs> yeah, because by the time you get this, it'll be seven. Kansas City Royals from 78 to 81. San Francisco Giants, 82. Cincinnati Reds, 83. Red Sox, 84. And then the Hashin Tigers, 85 to 86. And he's mm-hmm. a local of Charles. Yeah, local, yeah. He's a New Hampshire boy. I guess him yeah. and Jeff could have talked about things. Yeah, well, Je- yeah. well Je- oh, are they going to talk about squash? Jeff don't yeah, know nothing about probably. <laughs> he comes in in the morning tonight and he's like, when you go to the, he has some squash channel. He's got highlights <laughs> on. He, there's an actual squash channel. Yeah, like the, the, I would rather watch a channel about real squash, <laughs> like actual plants, like, like plant, just growing. Yes. <laughs> but uh, uh, yeah, so I mean, three weeks. If it's been three weeks, we, I feel like we don't really have a whole lot. Like of three weeks of like whenever we do like a show every week, I feel like we have about as much things to talk about as we do having three weeks between. Well, because we forget everything. That's like, the problem. We, we really are only capable of storing about a week's worth of information, and then it's gone. Like, yeah. whatever it was that we thought would be really funny to talk about, done. Gone. Well, we've both been to the Bahamas. I went for Doug's wedding. We'll, we'll get into our trips later. Yeah. But that'll, we'll be talking about our Bahamas trips. And then I'm leaving again. Doug's wedding. Yeah. Yeah, you're, you're leaving again to uh, the Glades. Yeah, going tarpon fishing this time. So, I'm heading to Mexico. And I'm staying yeah. at the office. <laughs> Once again, <laughs> compared to last time when he went to Costa Rica, oh, I'm yeah. not going to fish at all. No, oh, yeah. We're catching sails. <laughs> yeah, I got, yeah, we was out here playing with monkeys and catching rooster fish. It was weird. I don't. <laughs> and then uh, let's see, baseball season started this week, which you know around here, obviously right. we're, we're baseball fans. So, all right, so I was at work last night, 
and we've got the security guys that walk around all the time. And I was on a different floor that I'm normally not on. And security boy walks by. And I don't know. Like, I know this guy enough to have, like, said hi to him in the hallway. Like, I, me and him have never had a conversation. Okay. He doesn't know me. He doesn't know anything. Just comes up and, like, props up beside me and starts just going off about the Cubs, man. They're out there playing. and blah, blah, blah. Like, oh, For, like, 30 minutes. Like, not just the Cubs. He was talking about the Cubs and the Royals. All these games he'd been watching and what baseball season looked like. And I was just rolling back to my head. I was, like, trying to be nice. Cause, like, I don't know anything about yeah, it. Yeah, I was like, A, I don't know you, and I don't really want to carry on a conversation about sports with somebody I don't know. And, B, I don't care about baseball. <laughs> like, I could give two fucks less, but he was excited. So, I, I, that's the only reason I know that baseball season started. So, was today, you will talk to Rich Gale about baseball and GTs. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Rich, what do you think about GTs and baseball? Yeah. Hey, between all those years, just wasting your life playing that retarded sport baseball. Did you ever get a chance to go GT fishing? Yeah, that'll be my first that'll question. Be that'll be good. Great. Uh, <laughs> also, big big thing for us here at the old Flood Tide Headquarters Laboratory. We got in our our project. We've been working on it for about six months. The first time we've dove into the cut and sew stuff. We got the uh, button down, button up for Optimus, so button down for Pessimist. For, for pessimist, and uh, we got those in, and we got the shorts in too, and we're we're doing good with them, man. We're excited; they look great. We're happy with them. May have to um, try on a pair before I leave today. There you go. Why don't you uh, try it on like the shirts and the shorts in front of us here while we record, <laughs> so that people can hear what that sounds like? Uh, I don't know. Is that really gonna be a visual thing? I, I mean, we could try it. I don't care. But well, I, why don't we wait till what's his name <laughs> is here that we met at the uh, Banana Hammocks? Yeah, uh, <laughs> wait a He would love that. Felipe, he'd love that. I don't know if I want to get undressed in front of Felipe. Um, he gets too excited about it. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. <laughs> was that about the Rangers when they won the other night? One hit? Yeah. Uh, that's funny. Here goes Will. Always bringing up the Always Rangers. Always ready. Oh. Uh, um, I, did, I did watch. Uh, so Ben Austin, who you all all know, people out there, he's yeah, a yeah. rep in the industry. He's got a buddy of his that's a, a movie producer. And mainly just does documentaries. And I love documentaries. Like, the the weirder they are, the better. (laughs) So he told me about this buddy of his, and I watched all three of them. Um, The King of Kong was one. And then Finders Keepers was the other. And that that bit at the beginning was from Finders Keepers. The King of Kong? King of Kong is about modern-day people that are still trying to break the highest record on King of Kong. Like, stand up. Retro games that are at arcades. Oh, like, King, oh, like yeah. They go and have these tournaments. You mean like these, Donkey Kong? Yeah, yeah. Like King Kong, yeah. Yeah, King Donkey Kong. So these oh, two wow. guys, this guy that's held the record since like 1984. And if y'all haven't seen this, you have to look it up. It's amazing. The King of Kong. And then there's this California dude that's just like one of these guys that has kind of lost his way and lost his interest and all of a sudden decided he was going to break this King of Kong, King Kong record. <laughs> And he did. And there was glad like, he found something. There's that, like this that really means something. Yeah, you know he's got a family. You know, married, two kids. He's all of a sudden sets up shop in the basement. Baby, I'm gonna be down here well, for even the next the, three years the, playing the same game. You can hear, hear the kid in the recording recording background going, "Daddy, don't play games again." Like it's just like God. Oh, it's sad. It's, might as well be a heroin addict. So anyway, I'm not gonna tell you what happens because you, you do have to see it. But it's the people in it are incredible. Like <laughs> you can't believe these people still exist. It's <laughs> unbelievable. This one dude that. I mean, he still looks like he's from 1984. It's uh, it's, it's amazing. So I'm rolling up in a Trans Am. And the other one's about a guy that lost his leg and kept it, and then put it in a storage unit. Whoa, whoa, left whoa, it in whoa. a grill. 
Whoa, 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 whoa. In an airplane crash, he left. His, he lost his leg, but the hospital gave it back to him. I was literally shocked. Did he pickle it or something, or just let it? <laughs> he, pick, he pickled it. I mean, well, you know what I mean. At like the time, no. Jar or something. They show like he's holding it on a talk show, and it's not pickled. Oh. It's just this piece of like. It, anyway, oh. so that, oh. that's what that story is about. But this North Carolina guy found it in the storage. Like you know how they'll auction off storage. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So he gets it. Found so he claims ownership to it. But the guy that originally owned it, his leg wants it back. And how, just, how are you going to claim ownership to a man's body part? Like, dude, it's just because he... He up, owns it. He, he grew it. Yeah, like, but he ends up... He, <laughs> I grew that. <laughs> he starts getting this tourist people coming by to see the grill. That, oh, no. So he claims that it's making all this Who? money. Dude, you got to see it. Hey, baby, we're coming through uh, Cartersville right now. You want to stop and see that grill that man found that leg in? Well, that's, we, we take pictures with it. Your mama will love it. Well, that's that win-win situation you're talking about. Win-win-win. You're a win-win-winner. Oh, well, God. also, uh, David Grossman found that guy's prosthetic well, leg. Well, prosthesis. I could see losing that and then wanting, or having one around you know, for an extra or something or just a lamp. But, like, an actual leg, like, you just bury it or burn it or pickle it in a jar, but don't just leave it in a grill in a storage shed. <laughs> that just, that's creepy. I'm sorry I pulled y'all's legs. <laughs> I'm going to have to pull some drops out of what Michael said. Pickle it. <laughs> or just leave it in a storage shed. <laughs> oh, man. We, I'm, I'm way behind on getting drops from you boys. <laughs> We'll uh, never talk, so I can't really get. I know. Uh, I know. I don't say anything. Uh, no. <laughs> well, how could he? How could I? You know, with all of, with me and and Paul and all of us going on. Oh man. Well. Yeah. What else? So. Uh, what else has been going on? I don't know, man. We had. We already. I'm gonna get cold beer. Yeah, we got beer going on, but. Uh, we got yeah, this. I mean, red fishing's red fishing's picking up here. By the way, tailing tides today. If we weren't recording radio shows, there there's a tailing tide today. Well, me and Jeff went out yesterday and we saw a ton of fish. And uh, now we're just talking. And uh, I do. And the tide just came up too fast, but we saw fish standing on their heads. Man, it was uh, pretty crazy. We caught one. Uh, Windy as hell. We caught one a few weeks back in March, uh, but I, we saw one all day tailing, and we didn't even catch the one that was tailing. We caught one that was cruising, but. I hadn't been out again because I've been traveling so damn much and stuff. I hadn't had a chance to do it. Traveling, fishing? Yeah, bone fishing. And going tarpon fishing this week. Or next week, I should say. Which ain't a bad thing. I got all summer to redfish. What about uh, any props out to any new dealers we got lately, Willie? Let me pull up the file. We can go through that. and Just uh, been uh, numerous and uh, and quick. I know Old Victoria Outfitters in Victoria, Texas. Yeah. Find a new dealer. We got Bayou uh, City in Houston. Bayou City Outfitters in Houston. Uh, great Taking shop. Taking over Texas. Yeah, uh, I got Alpharetta Outfitters in Alpharetta, Georgia. Fly South, Nashville. Yep. Oh, wow. Old That's Florida and Old Florida Outfitters. Oh. Both in Florida. Olay and Old. Yes. Olay. There's an O-L-E. Old. Like old and then Old. old. Yeah. Olay is in... Uh, Lauderdale, Fort, just no, north of Fort Lauderdale. Olay is in Watercolor, Florida. That's in that's a town. Yeah, that's right outside Panama City Beach. That is actually where they filmed the Truman Show. I think that's old. Oh. That's old. Oh, that's old. All right, old yeah, Florida. D yes. comes before E. That's how that's I remember right. it. D is before E, and D is Jesus Christ. Not quite that's to the beautiful. coast. That was beautiful. That's how I do it, man. Uh huh. So yeah, we we. we, we. Hey, you sure? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I so. Just, uh, yeah, that's it. That's it. Burn it. I, uh, I that uh that crazy ass piece I did for Flyfish Journal. I don't know if you oh, yeah, noticed. Oh yeah, yeah, the the ones with the 
the guys on the moose and the ecstasy yeah, they, or whatever. Yeah, I think on. mushrooms. Mushrooms, yeah. Check that out. It's a good little piece. It was fun to do some illustrations for that. I enjoyed that. Um, I feel like we can, you know, this is our blog. We can talk a little art. You want to talk about some art? I would love to, except I don't know anything about art. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know anything about art. I, I couldn't. I think it's pretty. I, <laughs> I, like, I like looking at it, but other than that, I'm useless. Well, should we uh, take a little break? and? Uh, yeah, yeah. For sure. I'm Come guessing. on back. Um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to Rich. When we come back, we're going to talk about Doug's wedding, your trip, and then a cool video that's come out in the last, and me paying bills. Last couple weeks. Yeah, Will's going to try to get the water bill paid. When yeah, we, exactly. in the meantime. <laughs> All right, well, Will, you ready, Rock? Yeah, I'll turn the microphone over. Just. This portion of the Bally Live podcast brought to you by Grumpy Old Man Across the Street. Yes, he's always there, always looking. What are you up to? What are they up to? Have you seen his cat? Grumpy Old Man Across the Street wants you to know he's keeping an eye on you in the neighborhood. Anything else you need, just let the grumpy old man know. Grumpy old man across the street. Special, Special factory shipment for service Oldsmobile. Special factory shipment for service Oldsmobile. Oldsmobile at special prices will meet with your delight. To take advantage of them, follow the Mr. Service flight. You'll end up at the home of Mr. Service and to whet your appetite, you'll find prices are so low even a miser wouldn't write. The Tri-State area will marvel and this statement is profound. So much value and abundance is seldom seen in any town. As you see the transports unloading, it should steer your every thought, knowing that at these special prices, everyone will soon be bought. Cost plus prices and Sierra at the home of Mr. Service on display. If you want the best selection, hurry in and don't delay. Demand, Demand better, better. Oldsmobile at Service Chevrolet Oldsmobile, Calhoun, Georgia. I-75 exit 129, Highway 53 beneath the Mr. Service blimp. Our name is our promise. The old man from the mountains coming home, home, home. Thought I'd better warn you, so I called you on the phone. Get rid of Joe the grinder, you better be there alone. Cause the old man from the mountains coming home. I've been working in a sawmill, I'm all uptight and tense. And I got wind that someone's been digging under my back fence. Thought I'd better. Breaking news. This just in. Merle Haggard, Michael Benson just saw the news, is gone. Dead at 79 years old on his birthday. Born April 6, 1937. Passed away April 6, 2016. 
Merle, the man, the myth, the legend. So I knew we went to jail, but I didn't know the st- the, the facts that y'all told me. Yeah, I was reading up on some of the news stories. Stuff I didn't know is he was actually at San Quentin Prison when Johnny Cash did his famous performance there in 1958. That inspired him to join a prison band, and upon being released from prison from San Quentin, he became, well, Merle Haggard. And he got into the prison. I knew this from a couple years ago, uh, but got into prison because he broke into a bar that was open. (laughs) Was he breaking the back or something? Yes, he thought it was closed. (laughs) I can see that, like, breaking in, go run out there looking for the cash box, and there's 10 people sitting at the bar just (laughs) looking. What the hell's that boy doing? Uh, this whole segment, we're going to be rocking some Merle in the background. Yeah, absolutely. We should. If you don't like Merle Haggard, you can just go ahead and turn off and uh, unsubscribe. I was lucky enough. I saw him play for the first time and only time. One time, long time. One time, long time. Right before I moved here about four years ago at, uh, in Atlanta. And, uh, God, I want to say, oh, yeah, Steve Earle, I think, opened for him or something. It was pretty solid. Steve little, Earle opening for Merle Haggard? It was like a duo show kind of thing. I think I could live with that. Yeah. I, I I did not get a chance to ever watch Merle play, but uh, I've definitely listened to my share. Surprisingly, it was like it held up pretty well. It was solid. Oh yeah, so it was good. Well, he always had that. Well, he had that sound. It just literally was referred to as that haggard sound. But he always yeah. had that kind of old sound anyway. So aging, I don't feel like would deteriorate him. You know, it wasn't like he had a youthful voice yeah. anyways. You know. So but, he's supp- he was scheduled to play tomorrow night, April seventh, at Cape Girardeau, Missouri Show Me Center. How many people do you think are still going to show up? Just like haven't heard, won't hear the news. I don't know, man. What would Maybe you do with in flowers a situation like showing that? up for like. I'd show up. I'd no, show I mean, like, who would show up and like, oh, oh like, oh, Merle's uh, I, I, I didn't hear this. Like, they say doors closed, show canceled. Like, what the hell? Yeah. <laughs> I'm damn that Merle. I work hard for this money. Yeah. Well, that's crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, well. You know, there's one left, a Willie Nelson. But he's, he'll never die. He'll never die. Him and Keith Richards are in a battle. To he this. outlived his pecker. He uh, he he canceled a concert when I was in college in like 2008 because of health concerns. <laughs> <laughs> Willie did. Yeah. yeah, eight years later. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. In 2000. Oh yeah. yeah. By by yeah. by health concerns, he got too high exactly. on his bus. <laughs> Couldn't figure out which chords to play. <laughs> like I thought he was gonna die 16 years ago. Uh, well, we're coming about a week and a half off. Douglas's wedding. Now Doug isn't here today. He was gonna try to come. He's busy work man. He was. I'll give it to Doug. He was. He was volunteering for uh, habit, habitat, habitat for humanity man, this yeah. morning. Well, Doug sweating it out, building, yeah. building some houses. And, I did that uh, when I was in high school. It was good. It was good stuff. Yeah, good to so, be helpful. So yeah. So we had Doug's hey, I'm a wedding. Georgia fan. <laughs> and uh, and the way this worked going into it. I didn't plan on fishing at all. And the main reason was that it wasn't a very good fishing island anyway. Yeah. And Sarah was coming with me. So I was just going to kind of dedicate all my time to hanging out with her and whatever in the last minute. It's because you're a good husband, Paul. Well, I get, you know, we've got great fishing around here. I'm going fishing to Mexico. I wasn't really too concerned about fishing on an island that wasn't that great for fishing. I hear you. Now, three miles away across the water was Abacos, so it's great fishing. So mm-hmm. you're basically teased. You're basically three miles away from great fishing by water, and yeah, I don't have yeah. a boat. So last minute, we had some health issues with our dog, so Sarah stayed behind. So next thing I know, I'm I'm in complete control of my destiny of fishing. <laughs> so, And that was kind of my main thing I could do and wanted to do because now I, you know, Sarah wasn't able to make it. So what I ended up doing was I did a half day with Andrew McLeod, 
Never caught a bonefish. So I was like, dude, I'm not even going to touch the rod until you catch fish. And maybe I want to, no. I don't even know. I just want to get some good footage of fish. About an hour into the trip, the guy's just like, man, there's no fish here. There's just no fish here. And there was like two or three days before a full moon. There was a stall, stalled out front. And well, we right saw, around a full or a new moon, those fish will move offshore, too. Yeah. So that time of year, yeah. We saw maybe seven bonefish Oof. in two groups of three. We, we saw repeatedly. So the same three bonefish we saw a couple times. And so the next day, I go with Doug on his wedding day. Same scenario. Doug, I'm not going to touch the rod until you catch a fish. Yeah. Now we had more interactions with some fish. And I think he came tight on one came unglued but and then he had the fish were just acting so spooky and they would react to even lying in the air you know you could just get those days with any kind oh, yeah. of fish uh so needless to say i never touched a rod once <laughs> i didn't cast to a single bonefish but i had fun watching my buddies yeah, but, try to catch fish yeah riding around though in a, in a flats boat you know bone fishing or, or any kind of tropical fishing it's a pretty enjoyable experience in and of itself oh, yeah and you know you're seeing all kinds of things oh, happen yeah. i mean it's, it's, it was still fun uh but instantly when I say I didn't catch anything, people were like, well, you should at fishing. Well, I didn't fish, <laughs> you know, but uh, it was still a lot of fun. And the whole week, wedding weekend was fun. You know, there was many, uh, oh, I got a Christmas song playing. Let me get rid of that. We don't need that one. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, over overall, it was a good time. We, we had a house rented. Uh, Wilds and I went stomping around for a place to go fishing on the last day. And our, our golf cart tire busted out. So oh, we didn't nice. get the fish in that situation That's either. That's classic Bahamas right there. So we ended up going to the bar for two and a half hours and hung out with this swinger couple that oh. was all about, I think, Wilde's girlfriend. Nice. And uh, that was it. Then I came home, kind of tired. Took me a couple of days to kind of re- to do get over reentry. And uh, when I came home, you were leaving for your trip. Yeah, yeah. We went down. Uh, we uh, our family has a, a house on South Island of Bimini, and uh, been going down there since I was a little kid. So I'm really familiar with the island and, and, and the flats and stuff. So this was a family trip, though. My sister, my brother-in-law, my parents, the niece and nephew, three-year-old and two-year-old, uh, girlfriend, and the then, woman. Yeah, the girlfriend, and then uh, Tucker, my buddy, who's basically family. Um, all piled into a house for seven days. Um, it's interesting. How many people sleep comfortably there? Uh, you, I mean, you can sleep. I've slept ten there before. Oh yeah, Bridger was telling us about the eleven people. Yeah, that was a little much. That was a little much. <laughs> Eleven's not comfortable. You can do it, but it ain't comfortable. But yeah, we. Uh, but the thing about this house is, that, you know, everything stays down there. The boat stays down there. The car stays down there. All the bikes stay down there. So the first thing you do when you get to that island, every trip, I don't give a crap what trip it is. Everything, every time you get on there, the first thing you do is fix shit, like immediately. You hit the ground, you throw yourself in the house, and you start fixing shit. Whatever it is, yeah. Like in this case, give us a typical fixing. All right. So the first day I was there, uh, there was the old refrigerator that had blown out was still upstairs because nobody had been there strong enough to move it. Now since it was me, Tucker, my dad, and my 360 pounds, six five brother-in-law, we right had there. the first thing we had to do was haul a full-size refrigerator down a flight of stairs, remove glass doors from the front of the basement, place said refrigerator through glass doors by using this lever contraption I, I rigged to get us over top of some obstructions and then get it out of the way then i had to remove put the glass doors back on 
um, we had to get a come along and a massive strap because one of the axles underneath our boat, a dual axle trailer, was shimmied off to the side. So I had then to jerry rig this with a come along and a strap to keep that axle from shifting too much so we could get the boat off of it, at which point we had to cut and remove all the bolts and the screws to get the uh, leaf springs and everything out from the trailer so that in a couple of weeks we can pull the boat back out. Um, what else do I have to do? Um, that was a detailed answer. Yeah. I, mean, I had to fill up air in bicycle tires. I had to roll the Jeep out, get it pumped up with air, get some gas in the back of it, prime the carburetor with some brake cleaner, and, you know, get her going. She's 1967. She don't fire too easy. So, uh, yeah, that's what I did the, my whole first day. But then I did slip out and catch a bonefish later that afternoon. Just, um, just slipped out. Yeah, we walked. We had low tides every day. And, and when you're on foot, low tides what you fish because um, you got to be able to see them and you can't see them when that water's deep if you're wading around. So, we walked three, four hours a day. We saw fish every day. Caught, uh, I caught one about seven pounds tailing one afternoon. Um, real nice fish, about 26, 27-inch stud. Um, then my buddy Tucker got to join the double-digit club on the very last day. We were fishing in the morning. We had to fly out at 4. We fished that morning about 10. And it was blowing literally 20, 25 knots. I mean, howling. Bad, real bad. But we had sun, so we were walking downwind. And um, I mean, the point I had my big straw floppy hat on, I had to cinch the the strap under my chin and tie a knot because it kept blowing the damn hat off my head. That's how. I mean, oh, the was, knot had to like stop the little wooden. Yeah, thing I had going. to like tie everything off to just keep the thing on my head. So we got down there and I we'd seen a few fish, but they were being real weird. Um, I caught a little guy, but then Tucker was walking. He was to my right, and I saw two fish to, uh, milling around, and uh, one of them was sizable. I could tell. You know, I couldn't really tell how big, but it was way bigger than the ones we had been seeing. And, but Tucker couldn't see him the way the glare and the, it was white capping on the flat. So, like, he had some problems seeing from his angle. So, I just, you know, kind of coached him a little bit. He put a cast out and fish turned, ran it down, munched it, turned out to be about a 29 inch long, uh, big bruiser of a bonefish. But uh, we caught a bunch, caught some trigger fish, uh, which are a lot of fun tailing Dude, on the we flats. Had, we had a little trigger going after our fly, ate it four or five times and didn't get hooked once. There, I, I, in Acklands last year, I must have cast a 50 of them and I hooked one and he ended up breaking me off because I got tangled. But but I'm used to him spooking off. This fish yeah. was just happy, man. Oh, he yeah. Was, if you get them in the right mood, man, I caught two of this trip. I mean, and I I went two for two, which I went like 0 for 50 in Acklands. So the fact I, that I went two for two, I was pretty happy. Even in blind squirrels find nuts. <laughs> I guess now, so. Talking about blind squirrels finding nuts. Okay, so your last <laughs> trip you went on, how many fish you catch? Trip, the Doug's wedding? No, 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 no. The before trip that. before that. The other international trip you took this year. To Honduras? Wait, was that the last one? How many fish you catch in Honduras? One permit, one on until the boat, so almost two. Okay. How many fish you think? How do you think you're going to do on this trip? Because it seems like all these trips you, you get screwed, not you, but just in general. Screwed <laughs> well, by last, weather. Well, the last time we went to Mexico, the weather was terrible. We. We could have caught like one or two bonefish, but then you're like, let's just go catch permit. I did not catch permit last year. Mm-hmm. No. Is that what you wanted? No, no. I'm just, I'm, I'm just wanting to hear. I'm guessing Bridger's fishing. I guess he's going today. Yeah, go get him. Tell him I guess he's, he's not going to come in for a guest visit. But, uh, but it seems hurry. like it seems like this trip, there's just a lot of things that always go wrong. You know, weather wise. And not, I mean, the time before we had great weather. Uh, the one guarantee I have, there are two guarantees I get every time when you come back on these trips. You're unbelievably sunburnt. <laughs> That's because he's a ginger. <laughs> and I get lip funk. And he, get, and he gets like these hurt blisters on his lip. I get that usually. But I've been managing to dodge them so far. 
Last year I did not get one. The year before that I got two. Chapstick. It's, I'm a, I went heavy on a chapstick. That helped. Yeah. I've got some stuff that I wear, but sometimes it doesn't matter. Paul looks like when he comes back, like I walk into the office and it looks like he has been freshly pulled out of an oven. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like a shipwreck survivor or yeah. something like that. <laughs> I, look, I look tremendous. I look there tremendous. goes True Blue. Where did where'd Bridger get that car? I don't know, but I thought he he usually is good for at least one. Just come on, come on in here. Yeah. By the way, True Blue is not so true, but yeah. Tell tell the people about your True Blue experience, Will. <laughs> well, we took it out, Mike, and uh, learned real quickly. Slowco. Uh Learned real quickly that the trim uh, was kind of uh, not working at all times. Uh, so at one point, I didn't think I was gonna get the motor back in up. the water. Oh, up up. up. So and then the only reason I didn't freak out about that is because it had oil in it, but it kept beeping like it was running out of oil. Oh Lord! And there was no oil. And then I get back and it, the whole time like, oh man, we'll keep the boat at the office. He's like, it's boat works totally great. I get back, tell him yesterday. I was like, here's here's what I ran into. And he goes, holy shit, it worked. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Hey Michael. Oh Elbridge. Hey Michael. <laughs> yeah. Ask Will if he has his own boat. I do have my own boat. Yeah, I know. I you do got a real I, nice I, one. I know. I do have my own boat. Like a brand sorry, new, real nice. I'm one. sorry I wasn't able to get up. I had to leave the house at six o'clock in the morning. I also had things to do during the day. It's. I don't live in Charleston. I don't have everything right here at my hands and feet. Uh, I thought you had your own boat. I do boat. have my own boat. I'll remember this boat. I don't talk. think you got here at seven twenty that morning. I, I, Paul, you don't know what I had. To oh, do. am I pestering him? Am I getting to him? <laughs> he does drive a long way every morning. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I don't go on fishing. We'll have it, everyone. Right? We'll Thank have you. it. Thank you. I just want you to be happy. You want to talk about that Facebook fight you got into? Oh. Oh, the guy that Paul stole our yeah. image? Paul, the guy that stole Paul, our Paul, flood tide Paul, image. Paul, and put it on his, Paul loves the I do not he, he love these it. Facebook things. Why would I love... Tell me, Paul. See how Why would I love someone... I'm sorry. Just tell Why him. would I love it when someone stole my image and put it on their own clothing company and said it was theirs? Why would I love that? Oh, somebody did that? Will. What'd they steal? They stole the cruising redfish image, flood tide image, that yeah. Will keeps saying, I'm having the fight. It's flood tide. Yeah. And, and it said, check out these new mock-ups. What do y'all think? So I said, first comment. You might want to rethink that. Put the link to Flood Tide shirt. Yeah. And then about an hour away, it went away. Oh, yeah. But the thing is, like, the fact that you have to, you just happen to see that before yeah, somebody and, starts And Will thinks them. I love that. No, I don't think you love it. I just love that every time when we try to squash that, like a controversy stops, spots up. Well, so it's always fun to play with. You're always But there's fun so many, there really are so many companies out there, people wanting to make t-shirts and shit with the, they don't have any talent to make any actual images well we are on like a six month hiatus it hadn't happened in a while usually it yeah yeah usually it happened all the time yeah and you know oh and i mean the thing is is like paul thinks i'm picking on him and i, I kind of am but uh we've had some unbelievable responses to some people that have totally <laughs> ripped us off and the, they, it's crazy how far they deny it it's mm-hmm. like one one guy took this this picture of Paul's fish that he drew. Like you could tell he drew this fish, and this guy was like, "Oh no, I freehand drew that in the boat." I got buddy three people at work fish. that saw me draw it, and then you spend about over the course of maybe seven messages back and forth of so fourteen total yeah, messages yeah, yeah. saying, "Dude, I know it's mine. Just take it off." 
I'm not going to take it off. I drew this. So you, you, it depends on how long the spectrum is. Sometimes it's a day, sometimes it's two days, but it always ends with, okay, man, but I don't think I should. I'll take it down. Like, it always ends with them taking it down. Well, if yeah, like, if you really drew it, you would never say, I'm taking it down. Like Exactly. You if, didn't draw it. If I drew something and someone said that I copied them, like, well, you can come to my door and tell me that I copied it because I didn't. Exactly. Know? Yeah, we don't go around looking at redfish tails and stuff like that. Going, oh, that's a redfish tail. Yeah. That's all I did. Well, that's no, the thing. No. People And people email us all the time saying, hey, someone copied your logo again with redfish tail. It's like, dude, you can... Anyone can do a redfish tail. Yeah, it's not that hard to draw. I mean, it's hard to draw one really well. Like now, there have it. been a couple where they literally copied and pasted yeah. our <laughs> redfish tail. Like if we had an overhead projector right now, I could give a demonstration. <laughs> Just yeah. lay it over. All right, there. so you start yeah. with the triangle. Yeah, we've done that on Photoshop. We've yeah. done that a couple of times to show them, like, listen, look. But anyway. Um, but there's a video out there we wanted to pay a little homage to. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Frankie Marion's video that he released last week, the... Uh, the Fal- permit video. I don't even know how to T- say it. T. Falsaticus. Yeah. T. Falsaticus. I don't know. If you know your Latin, will. Yeah, it's a permit uh, video, and they they catch a ridiculous amount of permit. And some of the footage on it's just insane. Like some of those tails going off slick water. And in the words of my buddy Don Gable, who's a god in QS and a very good permit Donnie. guide, uh, permit fishing in no wind is fucking retarded. Go tarpon fishing. Uh, but these guys got it done, like severely done in no wind, on foot, in the Keys, not Mexico or in the, in the Keys. What, seven fish in one day on fly? Three in the morning and then three in the evening. And then Ian ended up catching one and a, unfortunately a shark got to it. But yeah. this, yeah. It's insane. I mean, absolutely insane. That, and if, if, if you don't know anything about permit fishing, that doesn't happen ever at all, yeah. period. End of story. I mean, how often do you even hear people catching seven tarpon? How do you, you how know? many how do you people hear people catching more than one permit? Maybe two, three on an epic day, if you want to use that word. On film. Oh, yeah. and then to get seven on film. I mean, there's the scene where they're taking a shot at the boat of one of the permit, and then just in the background casting it just a school of ten, like yeah. it's no big deal. Yeah, a guy has to run like he, he literally just releases this fish and like, oh yeah, we got a permit. Get the rod, get the rod, and there's like 20 more fish pushing in this huge wad coming right at them. And there's another one. It's just, and and just the quality of the footage, too, oh, like yeah, it's just unbelievable. It looks like Frankie's literally five feet away from these tails, and oh. so uh, hats off to you, Frankie. Francis. I suggest everybody go out there, and they, they are running a campaign. Frankie's not charging anybody for this film. It's a full length film. Most far as films go, probably. 20 minutes or so. C1 Films. C1 Films. Go there. Uh, you can look them up on Vimeo. You can just look up C1 Films on Google. But uh, you don't have to pay for it. But if you would like to submit uh, a donation towards the film, uh, you can do that. Just as soon as you click on the film, Frankie will explain everything to you. But y- you can decide how much that film is worth to you because these guys are also doing this for research and, and tar- you know, Bonefish yeah. Tarpon Trust. This isn't all just a pad. And Frankie's I plan on pockets. watching again. I have not donated, but I'm going to this. Oh, yeah. I didn't get to donate because I'm broke right now. But, yeah, when my paycheck comes through, don't worry, Frankie. I got you. Yeah. But, yeah, it's it's a good cause. But, yeah, Frankie explains all of it at the very beginning of the film. So please go check it out. If you can, do. I mean, otherwise, we don't get cool films like this. And um, and I think in this case, a lot of that money is going to go towards uh, research and, and funding that, that uh, permit research that the Bonefish and Tarpon Trust is doing, um, which they show some of that in the footage. They're, they're tagging them and, and doing different things with them. So, um, yeah, please go watch it. Please support uh, Frankie's a good friend of ours. He's a very solid dude, and he makes amazing films. Um, very worth your time and your money. Your moolah.
Yamula. Well, we're going to ease on out here for a little bit and come right back with a little Richard Gale. Um, looking forward to having him in here. We're going to talk about some old 80s stories. George Bretts and the... And... Uh, oh, what the hell's his name? Boggs. We're going to find out the Wade truth. Wade Boggs. We're going to find oh, out the, the truth. truth. Do you yeah. just call him George Bretts? George no, Bretts. I mean, George oh. Brett. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> Great uh, George Brett video, by the way. <laughs> All right, we'll be back in a little bit. Digging under my back fence Thought I'd better call you Let you know today Thank you for enjoying this segment of Flood Tide Company's Barely Live This spot brought to you by the old Lefty Craze Homemade Sweet Relish Lefty decided to travel the world And find the ingredients for the best sweet relish ever made Here's a here's a little picture from Lefty now. Bill was screaming. He wrote up all this nice stuff about me. Well, immediately. And thanks, Lefty. So when you're looking for sweet relish, look to the left for Lefty Craze Sweet Relish. Available now at FloodTideCo.com. Big Lots presents Closeout Man. I spy a deal. Help, we made too much. I'll buy it all for pennies on the dollar. My hero. Check your flyer for super deals like these. Grab a cup of Joe for less at Big Lots with a Regal 10 cup coffee maker. 16 bucks at Discount Marts, $9.99 at Big Lots. Convertible hand trucks, Big Lots price, $27.88. There's new stuff every week. So come and get it. I'm gonna let it. I'm gonna let it hit the, the change here. All right, all right. Coming back in. All right, folks. What you've been waiting for, Rich Gale? <laughs> He's right. here with us. Hope they he is here with too us. Long. Oh, they've been waiting all day. Oh, Actually, yeah. for three, day. Weeks. We, three weeks. Yeah, we we teased it three weeks ago, and uh, right. we're here now. So Good to be here. Yeah, glad to have you. And uh, speak right into that thing as much as okay. you can. All right. You know, we're not used to six, six you know, five-foot <laughs> pitchers in here that can actually speak into the microphone the way we have these things set up. Yeah, we're all hunched into them all the time. Yeah, so thanks for making it. Yeah, I'm glad I could make it finally. Uh, yeah. Got a late game tonight, so I could make it this afternoon. Yeah, blue, you're, you're blue tonight, calling the game. Well, we might be wearing black, but they still call us blue. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I just hope I'm not blue, black and blue after the game. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Have they ever, so we were we were talking a little bit ago. We decided to just go ahead and start recording because I was wasting a bunch of possibly good questions. And uh, I had something tied, and I forget. Uh, yeah, so have you ever had like a parent – like, be like, man, this blue sucks. He probably didn't even played baseball in his life. And have you ever had one of those situations where, like, well, you might want to check some stats back in the uh, late seventies and eighties and I, see? I've, I've had some. I've had some parents, and I had a coach. Uh, kind of a funny story a couple of years ago in a Caba tournament here in 
in Charleston. Charleston's a big destination for summer travel ball, a really very high level. And it was a play that went against the team from uh, East Cobb. And I, uh, I called this guy out, and uh, I was on the bases. And he kind of hollered out and said, hey, Blue, uh, you stay with that play. This is a little quicker, a little faster level than you're used to. Uh, so, so, so stay with it. And I just chuckled to myself. And uh, I said, uh, I wanted to say, actually, this is a lot slower than what I'm used to. <laughs> exactly. Well, hey, before we get into uh, kind of your baseball career and what you think about what's going on these days, I mean, this is a fishing show. So we'll, I mean, I know that how I know you is coming through the, the, the fly shop right. in Mount Pleasant. Right. Michael used to work at Charleston Angler. Yeah, uh, I was there for then, 10 years. And yeah. then Will. I just like to fish. And he's, <laughs> he's his partner in Flood Tide. So we're yeah. all, this is typically a fishing show, but a lot of times we get off, you know, that's on good all with different, me. That's, yeah, that's all good different with angles. Me. But yeah. uh, so you're originally from New Hampshire? Northern New Hampshire. Mountains of Northern New Hampshire, yeah. So you're a trout guy. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's yeah, your trout, foundation. I, I grew up on, uh, you know, little, little uh, brooks and streams and beaver ponds and things of that nature, yeah. And being in Charleston, did you move here because it was a fishing destination or because you loved the town and knew you could still drive three hours and still be close to trout fishing? Uh, I moved here because I loved my wife and she wanted to get out of New Hampshire. And, uh, you know, she'd been following, traipsing around all over the country, all over the world, really behind me for almost 30 years. And uh, she said she was tired of the cold and wanted to try Charleston and I think only half-jokingly said, you can come, too, if you want. <laughs> <laughs> and I figured, well, all right, let's go give it a try. And uh, it took me a couple of years before we discovered the, the mountains of western North Carolina. But since then, boy, it's been... It's a pretty short, straight shot. I mean, three hours on 26, and you're in it. It's yeah. Not really, yeah. Ain't really hard to get there. Yeah. And you do that quite a bit. I mean, you, I guess you must three out. You must drive a little slower than I do. <laughs> no, I, yeah, it's actually a little bit more. Yeah, I do as much as I can, uh, but I, I do love you know fishing here on the inshore. Um, uh, we got tremendous waters uh, fishing around now, here. Now, that's so. something you kind of had to learn from living here. It's like, okay, I guess I'll learn how to saltwater fly fish. Or had you done that much of that before? I'd, I'd done a fair amount of uh, striper fishing up in, in New Hampshire. Um, that's pretty much the only thing I, I went after up there on a fly rod. Um, I've been a fly fisherman since uh, six or seven years old. My dad put an old bamboo rod in my hand, and uh, that's my strong preference. Uh, I'm yeah, still in the striper fishing. I haven't really done it yet, so I heard it's quite uh, a treat to do. I've never done it up there. I've done lake fishing in Georgia, but never the, the saltwater coastal stuff. Yeah, it's. Uh, uh, I was in the seacoast area you know, roughly uh, an hour north of Boston by Portsmouth Harbor, where Portsmouth Naval Shipyard is. And, um, you know, they're, they're uh, saltwater stripers, anadromous fish that uh, uh, big, strong fish. And we've got, they have tremendously strong currents up there too. So those fish know how to use it and they turn sideways and broad and it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah, when you're a fish that can be eaten by a multitude of objects in the ocean, they tend to swim faster and stronger. Yeah. And yeah that I've come to find. Trout, I mean, I love trout fishing, but there's something about catching these saltwater fish that can just burn line and just, you know, you can bust a reel on a fish, you know, so. I haven't busted, uh, I, I, that's on my bucket list. Yeah, yeah, they're out there. <laughs> rod, a re rod a reel on a, yeah. It's got your name on it. But, uh, so, uh, Will, you want to dive into some? <clears throat> yeah, yeah, well, like Paul was saying, that we're big baseball fans. So, uh, first off, I want to kind of give you a tip of the hat for the uh, one hitter you threw against Paul's Texas Rangers. 
And I still remember that pitch, too. It was a slider down and into uh, Al Oliver. Mm. And, uh, Al Oliver. Uh, nice. yeah. Was it in Texas? No, it was in Kansas City. Actually, okay. I, it was not to toot my own horn, but I, I took no hitters into the seventh inning and back-to-back starts against the Rangers. Wow. Uh, my hero. Hey, <laughs> one hitter two days ago and they won. You know, they're down with that one hitter thing. I mean, <laughs> that's all we need. I like those I like those low number uh, hit totals and run totals in games. You know, You're a pitcher. a pitching guy. That's, that's a pitcher, <laughs> pitching coach guy, yeah. So so I'm like a guy that I just, the minute I look at one, one stat for a baseball player, I like look at like five other stats and it leads me into looking at this and looking at that. And uh, you finished fourth in the American League Rookie of the Year uh, race. And I looked at the people that you were that finished ahead and behind you, and it was a pretty damn good roster we, of people. We, we had a really strong year that year. It was, you know, uh, Alan Trammell, Lou Whitaker. Um, Paul Molitor. Paul, Paul Molitor, Carney Lansford, uh, myself, Clint Hurdle. Uh-huh. Um, a Rangers guy uh, was up there, too. Um, Steve... Uh, I know it was, it was it was good class. That what year, year was that? Seventy eight. And you got the Sporting News Rookie of the Year award for that year, and uh, uh, Tops All Star Rookie roster. And uh, the only thing I saw is I was like I started digging, and I saw that uh, that uh, Lou Whitaker and Alan Trammell both being um, teammates for the Tigers. I saw the one thing that I was a little jealous that you didn't get to get in on is they both starred in an episode of Magnum P.I. together. <laughs> you missed that one. Uh, yeah. I, I believe I missed that one. Now, if he, if I'd had the opportunity to go and there was a fishing segment in it, then uh, that would have been fun. <laughs> hey, they're not on Barely Live, though. So there you go. Sure. Well, yeah. you know. now, now, to tie, now, to tie it back in with the teams, all the teams that you played for, not all the teams, but, you know, the four major league teams you played for, the Royals, the Giants – and the Reds, they all do spring training in Arizona. Right. And you got one year with the Sox, and there in Florida. I mean, right. was that like, was that like little fun trip? That spring training being so much different, in Florida being able to go get down there early, go fishing. And well, when I when I started in seventy, um, I signed in seventy five, uh-huh. and uh, the Royals were in Fort Myers. Oh, really? Uh, actually, the minor league complex was in Sarasota. The big league, major league complex was in Fort Myers. So I had a lot of time in. I've spent a lot of time between Sarasota, Fort Myers, and then Senior League, and, um, uh, and I've been to fantasy camp down there for 28 years in a row, I think, something like that. So it was a tough adjustment for me going to Arizona the first year. Uh, I got sicker than a dog with, uh, um, what do I want to say, pollen issues out oh, there. Yeah. yeah. Well, is, is spring training – is it more of a, a renewal, like a good feeling, or is it more of a, oh, my God, like the grind of a month before the season even starts? Or is it one of those things that you can't, you're can't? you so glad you have because it takes a month to get back to the point of where you can throw, you know, 92, 93, and you have everything ready? Or is it kind of looked at as kind of miserable, a whole well, month? Well, it's, it's, uh, there were a lot of years I wish it was only a month because it was, uh, you know, usually six or seven weeks, and – yeah, the pitchers do, I guess, yeah. start earlier. Yeah, and the first, the first year I, I played in Japan in 1985 and 86, and uh, went over there. Uh, I went over there to report for spring training on January 31st. We had almost ten. To almost, Japan. Yeah, almost oh, ten, wow. almost ten weeks of spring training. But it, it's it's different. Um, it's a lot different now than it was 25, 30 years or so. You know, guys used to show up in spring training to get in shape. Then now, as we, we were talking briefly about exercises and the advancements in sports medicine that um, today's players um, are expected to, and they expect themselves, they demand themselves to be in 
and good physical condition when they get to spring training. But then it's a matter of working on timing and building up some uh, stamina. Now, think, now, how much when something like that goes through? Um, we also have a kind of another friend of the company, Rick Porcello, who pitches with the Red Sox sure. now. Um, how much does like pitching coaches play into that? Like, do you have a pitching coach that that maybe could hinder your process? Maybe wants you to do something that's uh, unnatural for you, or is that something that he's just trying to keep you a cheerleader, just keep you going, or do they keep you uh, in their process of the way they want things done? I would prefer to to uh, think that a pitching coach never hindered anybody's progress. Seen as how I was a pitching coach in professional <laughs> baseball for 13 years, there you go. I, I was in, I I was a pitching coach for one more year than I was a pitcher player. So, um, well, I wouldn't the, the, say I wouldn't say just pitcher coaches in general, but I was like, is that one of the is, do, are there pitching coaches that have different philosophies of saying, oh, I yeah. want you to pitch like this as opposed to this is what feels natural. Well, that's that's what. Um, you know, there's a lot of things that play into it. You, you know, look, at if a guy's had success, um, there's rarely anybody, uh, any pitching coaches or manager or, or a hitting coach for, for hitters or an infield, outfield, defensive guy, a catching guy that will, you know, ask somebody to make dramatic changes. Yeah. Um, and, and I know I can, can't think of anybody I've ever come across who, who's going to suggest to a player to try something where he thinks he's going to fail. Um, you have to make adjustments during your your career, um, and a lot of times it's within the season, within a month, and within a game. But uh, those are those are more mental, uh, you know, approach philosophy changes uh, short term. That's something I've always wondered because by the time a guy gets to the major leagues, obviously he has talent and a work ethic to some degree, and I can see like. If I just got a check for $5 million and I'm going to play a whole season, I might start – my mental aspect of the game might start dwindling because, oh, man, I just made whatever. How much is a coach's job at that level more babysitting than it is, like, actually teaching? I mean, you kind of just covered some stuff, but at what point – like, how much are coaches really doing at that point, or is it just maintaining their talent and maintaining their grind? Oh, there's a, there's a, there's a huge amount of, of impact. It was interesting. I was just um, watching the the uh, Blue Jays Rays game before I came over here, and it was on the Blue, <coughs> Blue Jays broadcast. And Buck Martinez and uh, I forget the other guy's name were talking about AJ Happ, pitcher for the the uh, Blue Jays, and how much success he's had in the last few years, and they attributed that directly to the impact of two pitching coaches, uh, Pete Walker in, in Toronto and Ray Searidge in, in Pittsburgh. Um, and here's a veteran guy who's been around. Um, so uh, there are times when there's some babysitting and there's a lot of psychology work there. Mm -hmm. And there are times when there's a lot of foot planning. You know, when you take my size 14 and plant it in somebody's backside and say, mm -hmm. you know, you got to start working harder or being smarter making better decisions off the field, um, you know, all kinds of things. Yeah, because so, there's situations where guys are getting paid, but they're being cut from teams like Michael Bourne. Yeah. Like he yeah. was signed, for, but now he's looking for a job. He's still getting paid, but he probably still wants to play baseball. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's that's the uh, um, <clears throat> that's the state of the industry, you know, with the, the finances. If they, they – guys have contracts going into a season, but there are specific dates um, with – with um, financial responsibilities at, 
attached to them. So, you know, if they release a guy prior to opening day or prior to March 15th or whatever, there's a, uh, there's a lot of different consequences. Mm-hmm. All right. Mike actually has a baseball question. Oh, Lord. Here we I go. Know, just so you know, Rich, I know nothing about baseball. That's why I'm sitting here quiet. I'm fully interested. I just have nothing to add. These guys are just <laughs> – they're the baseball guys. I do fishing. However, I do have a question that's kind of fishing-related and kind of baseball-related. Um, how do you think uh, the opening of Cuba may play into the American baseball scene? Because obviously Cuba – Baseball is bigger there probably than it is here, just like Dominican Republic and these other countries in that same region that we already draw huge talent pools from. How do you think opening a country the size of Cuba um, with the potential reserves of talent that they have that we weren't able to get our hands on or see in our league anyways, um, how do you think that will play out? And do you think you're going to go to Cuba and do a lot of tarpon fishing when you go to see games down there? I think it's going to have a big impact. Um, you know, there have been a number of, uh, of Cuban players in the last, I don't know how many, 10 years, 12 years, um, who have come over here. But they all, they all had to go through, you know, elaborate, uh, mysterious, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, defections and uh, things. And, and now... Smoke and mirrors. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah a, lot of, a lot of other things, too. Um, so I think it's going to... It, it, they have a wealth of talent. It's, uh, as you alluded to, it's a national sport for them. Uh, it's it's so deeply ingrained in their culture. Um, there are going to be a lot of players available. It's going to be interesting. I don't I don't I haven't seen and, and nor I have I read and understand all the the rules that go along with um, you know how teams will will uh, you know, scout and acquire, draft, develop. Uh, but it's it's a wealth of talent and. Uh, Oh, I'd love to go down there, and I'd love to go anywhere and fish for them. I mean, it doesn't matter. I mean, yeah, it's baseball not. fishing trip to Cuba. That's yeah, yeah, that'd yeah. be pretty. Or Australia, no? See, Australia. oh yeah, you do that too. And, you got, you, I'm sorry. Oh, I was just going to tell you, Rich. Um, I would have to think that your interest in baseball started pretty much around the same time. You're saying you got into fly fishing at age six. Exactly. Yeah. So I'd have to say it started around the same time, and you know, I that was about the time I've gotten to baseball. And, I never became a professional baseball player, neither did Paul, but, you know, I mean, it's, it's the pastime. But um, you very rarely – there's so few number of people that ever meet, reach the Major League Baseball level, much less played in a World Series, much less started pitcher in two games in the World Series. Um, was How much of the kid wanted to come out in you of being able to pitcher in the World Series, and how much did you just have to get down to business? I mean, did you find it more distracting than a – Another game. I mean, uh, eight like an AL championship series. It's uh, it was it was unique, and I, I won't uh, I won't lie and and say I wasn't nervous as a Dickens, or I'm not embarrassed by it. I mean, if you if you're not pumped up and and nervous and have anxiety about pitching in a World Series, then you shouldn't be there. You don't deserve yeah. to be there. But it was, uh, um, you know, as you as you mentioned it. I started pitching at, at seven years old in, in northern New Hampshire and uh, in a very appropriately named farm league, which was <laughs> kind of pre-little league, and uh, pitched all my life. Uh, and I had a dream as a kid of, you know, pitching in the big leagues. I wanted to, I had a big Red Sox fan growing up, and I wanted to pitch in, in, the, in the big leagues in Fenway Park. And when I, once I had signed a contract and started playing minor league ball and had some success and started advancing, then I... Then it got a little bit more, like, holy cow, this this might come true, That's and cool. uh, I was I, I was extremely blessed. There was a uh, when I when I was in high school, 
and you'll know this name when I tell you, but there's this there's this kid. And every day he'd be in the center. They'd be in the corner of the practice field when our team would be running off after practice about 5.30 in the afternoon. Every day there would be this father and son in the corner mm-hmm. pitching. He'd be throwing batting practice to him, or he'd be the dad would be catching, he'd be pitching. And it got to when I was about a senior, we'd still see him, and he was probably about four or five years younger than us, and he was just the short, fat kid. And we were like, man, why is that dad even wasting his time? Like this kid, like, like he's just no, – it's not going to happen. I'll be lucky yeah. if he even makes high school freshman team. Uh, well, he grew up uh, to about – Six eight and Chris Young is uh-huh. his name. Yeah, Pitch, pitches for the Royals still. I think. Yeah, started last night. Yeah. Yeah. So it was. It's really neat to see that happen. You know, I go off to college and then someone calls me two years. You remember that kid that was in the corner of the field every day? I'm like, yeah. I'm sure he's like, you know, whatever. You know, it's Chris Young. He's starting as a sophomore at a high school. You know, so Princeton so. Princeton graduate by the yeah, way. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And basketball player. Did you go to Princeton? No, okay. I, went, I went to University of New Hampshire, but I, also, I, okay. went on, I went on a basketball scholarship and played. Oh, really? Yeah, the Sacramento Kings were trying to draft him for basketball, and he went baseball. So yeah. Now, I see that also with all the AL teams that you played, and you played one year with the Reds, and you did have, I'm guessing the two home runs came from your years with the Reds? No, 80, the first one was 82 with the Giants. Oh, oh, I'm sorry, against I the, the Giants, that's right. I, I don't remember much about it except, <laughs> except that it was June 5th, 1982, and Wrig- Wrigley Field, and the wind was blowing in uh, – Oh my God! Yeah, I, I, I was the <laughs> June fifth. I, I was that was a, it all. So, were you, so did, were, was there ever a point that you were looked at when you were getting drafted out of high school and college that you were going to be a hitter or, or a position player other than a pitcher? No, no, no. I was a poor hitter. Well, you went nine for sixty-eight. That's a lot of games that you're not going to get a chance to hit by playing in the AL. And it's like Didn't there's a lot of pitchers that don't have two home runs in their career. It, uh, I had a great deal more confidence in Hal McRae's ability to help our team by taking my swings as a DH than I had in my ability to help my team by swinging the bat. Gotcha. (laughs) Who was uh, your most feared batter that you pitched against? Well, I don't like to use the word feared. Um, Respected, um, the toughest challenge to get out. There were – You'll love this. And it was the first Grand Slam I gave up in the, in the big leagues. It was <laughs> Buddy, Buddy Bell. Oh, um, nice. It uh, was a right-handed hitter. Buddy Bell gave me as much trouble as anybody. And uh, left-handers, um, probably Freddie Lynn. He probably only hit about hmm. 580 against me, maybe. Really? Yeah. And there, were there some guys that you totally crushed, too? That Yeah. It's just one of those things. Uh you know, Jim Rice, a Hall of Famer and one of the great, great hitters of, of my era and overlapped a couple, uh, was just one of those guys that uh, I did extremely well against him. Um, uh, I, you know, it was just one of those things. It's just, mm-hmm. it's, you don't, you don't, a hitter doesn't see the ball well off you or something about your delivery or there's something I saw in his approach and was able to, uh, to execute my pitches. Uh, but just throwing that kryptonite. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and you know, it's funny that you're talking about this because I was, I was thinking about this last night, and I didn't want to go, like, too in-depth, so in-depth that you think I'm crazy coming up with this question. But so when you played um, – and I'm not a big fan of the intramural league play, mm-hmm. especially now that it's commonplace, that it's pretty much baseball. So if you were a manager or a pitcher currently in Major League Baseball versus when you did play – would the strategy as a starting pitcher change where you would have to more hone your skills when you're going against all the batters in Major League Baseball? Because I would think if you just played American League Baseball, 
in the 80s and early 90s, you pretty much had your hand full of batters that you knew, and now you're you're playing everybody. Well, it's not not only that. I mean, it's exactly it is twice as many teams that you face, so theoretically twice as many hitters, different hitters that you. But but today's um, scouting and the information available to, to today's major league players or and even minor league players, especially at the double A, triple A level, is incredible. Um, looking at the computer here, um, there's programs that if I was facing um, the White Sox tonight, and uh, I'll, I'll say Red Sox because I know more names, if I'm facing them and I haven't seen them for a year, two years or so, I could just plug in some data in there and I could pull up every at-bat that um, Big Poppy, David Ortiz, or um, Mookie Betts, or um, any of those guys had against a hard-throwing right-hander who was primarily fastball slider pitcher. Yeah, and, and, and even further than that, I could say, I could request and pull up every slider that they saw from a right-handed hitter with two strikes during the day. Like video clip. Yeah, video clip. Oh, wow. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's, so yeah. there's three it's, people for each team that are just sitting there just slicing every video clip, and that's all they do? No, it's – the stuff is all programmed. Oh, okay. You know, I mean, the computer does yeah, it. Yeah, the computer does it all. But that there's um, the other thing that to expand on that. What what really comes into play big time when you're facing a National League team as opposed to American League team is that now you have the the pitcher in the batting in the batting order, and it used to be always automatic. He hit ninth. Well, now an awful lot of managers have their their pitcher hit eighth. Um, so you always factor that in, and you manage an inning, and and it it drastically can change how you uh, how you approach, how you attack the number seven or eight hitter when you know you have the hitter behind him, yeah. as opposed to the American League when I know I've got a legitimate hitter um, on deck. Well, okay, and then so if you're going to take away all this strategy and all this technology today, how do you feel about the Adam LaRoche situation with his kid being in the clubhouse? Like what if you were a player on that team? What would the situation be on that? Like no I, emotion. I I don't know enough about it honestly. I don't I don't. Is that a common? Was that a commonplace or a commonplace yeah, thing? It, it's it com was. It's, it's yeah. It's common. It, it's become more and more common over the years. Um, I have a tremendous amount of respect for Adam LaRoche. Yeah. Um, I I knew uh, his dad Dave was a terrific guy and a terrific pitching coach. I saw Adam and his son when they were 12, 14 years old, always being around. Um, it, that wouldn't have the. That wouldn't have the slightest, make the slightest difference to me, about how I feel about a, a, a player. It's what he does, the attitude, um, the approach, the work ethic, the intensity he brings, the job he does on the field. It, to me, it's the same way as as I don't care what a guy's preferences are and whether he likes red wine, light beer, white wine, steak, chicken. Uh, he's a vegan. It, it doesn't matter. Well, I think the biggest thing that people go into that, that you know, even baseball fans, that you just don't know what goes on in a clubhouse. You don't exactly. know. You don't know right. what's accepted and not accepted. Right, you and can it, see either side. Yeah, and I think unfortunately that the, the timing involved in that situation was, um, we don't know exactly, you know, what happened. And, yeah, and it, uh, I, I, I'm disappointed that Adam is not playing anymore because he he was. Uh, he was a real pro in, in everything I know about him. He's a great teammate, terrific competitor. and uh, He was a great Atlanta Brave. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so uh, notice that you uh, reading your, your biography and playing, and uh, you got hurt, and then you played two years in Japan. How was right. that? 
That was interesting. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mentioned earlier that the, the, the biggest change was I was used to, you know, going to spring training here in the States at maybe, maybe February 15th, 18th. And that first year I got my reporting date and I thought for sure that was a, uh, a mistake, you know, a typo, whatever. It was February, I mean, excuse me, January 31st. And uh, we went out to some godforsaken place in the boondocks for spring training. And uh, it's, it's a totally different, it's... it's Good thing you blend in over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah but my, my, my teammate and I, but the, the, you're only allowed, at that point, you're only allowed two gaijin. I mean, gaijin means, is, means foreigner over there. You're two gaijin on any major league team. And uh, it was myself and Randy Bass, who uh, was about 6'3", 220-pound, blonde-haired guy from Oklahoma, and big red at 6'7", 235, <laughs> where the, the, when I had hair, was deep auburn. And, and a sweet mustache. Yeah, sweet, yeah. Sweet I had a, well, actually, I grew, I, I grew a good full beard, too. That was, but that I, was, saw that, I saw one of your baseball cards had some awesome glasses and a... Nice, nice beard, rock. But yeah, that was that was usually at the end of the season. That was my postseason hunting hunting beard. Uh, well, hey, if we take a quick break and come back, will you stick around for a little bit more absolutely. in the next segment? Absolutely, absolutely. Let's talk some serious right. fishing. There cool, cool. Um, all right. We'll be right back. laid off and the bills well they just kept adding up well eventually we did get back on our feet or so we thought do you know most lenders because of a few bad months considered us a risk we couldn't even buy a car then we heard about her bad cox chevrolet in no time they had a payment plan we could afford and feel good about I can't tell you what a relief that was, but I can say the folks at her bad cox chevrolet really did make a difference Catch you with Rich, Richard. Richard, Rich. when was the last time you went by Richard? <laughs> <laughs> when I hear Richard, I think my mom's. Get, You're jump, in trouble. Get, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right, we'll just stick with Rich then. Rich Gale. Yeah, yeah. Still here with us. To start this fourth and final segment. So uh, appreciate you coming. Oh yeah. Um, my next question. We're just going to stick with some baseball questions and we'll end it with fishing again. Um, the fact that you ended up playing with the Red Sox, I mean, what are the chances of you getting into the major leagues and also playing for your favorite team, and how did that happen? Because uh, they're minimal, right? I mean, your chances yeah, yeah. of... Yeah, they are. I mean, it's, I mean, you know, hundreds of thousands of kids around a country, you know, play from a young age up through high school, and their, you know, their dream is to play for, uh, you know, the local team. And Mike was, you know, want to play for the Braves, and, and you know, you want to play for the... Uh, the Rangers, are, and, and but the odds are, I mean, uh, once the draft started, uh, you know, you, you couldn't control where you went. Uh, when did that start? Uh, I think that was 1966, 65. Okay. Rick, Rick Mundy, I think, was the last big bonus baby where the you know teams were openly 
you just, know, just signing bidding, people, finding yeah, bidding, people. bidding okay. against each other. Um, okay. So it's uh, the odds were, were were pretty slim, but uh, you know it was. Uh, I got released by the Reds after the '83 season. Uh, kind of a tough season. I was a free agent, and uh, Lou Gorman was the uh, the uh, general manager of the Red Sox, and uh, he had been the farm director with the Royals when I first came up, and had, had uh, always had a connection with me, and they invited me to spring training. You know, I was a minor league, uh, non-roster, you know, inv invitee to spring training, and actually started the season in Pawtucket and threw really, really well, and they needed somebody, and uh, so I went up for a while. I didn't. Were you pretty excited at the chance? I mean, yeah. Yeah, the, the, were you pretty confident with the situation and the pitching staff at the, at the time that you'd make the team, or was it just a toss-up? You had no idea what the situation was going to be. It was a toss-up, and it was basically the only uh, only decent offer I had. You know, so uh, I was willing to. You know, you look at it. Uh, yeah, I'd love to play in Boston, but um, mm -hmm. if I don't make the big league team and I have to go to AAA, then uh, Pawtucket, Rhode Island is still close because I was, you know, I was living in, in mm -hmm. New Hampshire at the time. So rather than, you know, Omaha or Fresno or Tucson or something. And then the dream of playing in Fenway happened. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Actually, my first game uh, <laughs> in uh, um, June of 78 with the Royals, I pitched my first game ever in Fenway. And uh, I threw a shutout my first game in Fenway, but I'd screwed up the tickets on the <laughs> ticket list. And I had like 38 friends, family, people coming down, and uh, they got to the windows, and uh, there were no tickets for them. Oh, man. Uh, but, the, <laughs> but fortunately, the, the uh, oh, gosh, Mike, somebody, an Irish guy from Boston, big surprise, huh? Uh, <laughs> he realized that it, you know, it had been an honest mistake, and he said, he let, he let everybody in and just say, go find what you can find, and yeah. fortunately, all but two people did. Cool. And Will? You want to ask him about old Rush Limbaugh? Oh, yeah. Rush Limbaugh? <laughs> so I grew up listening to Rush Limbaugh with my parents, and he always talked about working at uh, the Kansas City Royals. So I wanted to see what your uh, what your memories with him working. I think he said he was in charge of the first pitch of every game. Well, Rush was a uh, – we had a group of uh, – got a group of people uh, connected with the Royals called Royal, Royal Lancers, and they had these royal blue blazers on with the, the logo of the uh, – uh, Logo of the Royals was, you know, the, the, the crown with the stuff on it. And they'd have that on their breast they pocket. like country clubbers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, like they won a Masters somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, it was a god-awful royal blue color. It, uh. it didn't match our uniforms. But uh, they were responsible for a lot of things, you know, season ticket sales and promotions and stuff. And Rush was always, always in the clubhouse. And he was, uh, he was young and he was a... I got a couple. Hey, of, folks. I got a couple of terms for what, what we used to call them, but I won't use those. Chug uh, sniffers. Uh, <laughs> he was a, a little bit of a gopher for some of the people. Uh, so uh, he would be. I mean, and he was what? How old was he then? Probably 25, 20s? 30? He was young. He was young. So he was just all about just the fanfare of being in the locker room. Oh yeah. And just kind of felt like he belonged there, but he. Kinda, Whitey Herzog and George Brett and Amos Otis and Frank White and uh, you know all those guys. Yeah. The, 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 every once in a while, I would hear him talk about that. One of the cool and interesting things that he would say about the Royals that was interesting is that all the popcorn was popped underneath the stadium. Mm -hmm. Like they had the big pop, like a huge like a industrial, yeah, popcorn yeah. machine, and they said it would just smell like totally like popcorn with coconut oil. 
<laughs> that it was all done under the stadium. Well, that's fine and Danny, but I did, I did watch uh, I did watch the Padres play the Rockies in uh, Rocky Stadium, uh, Core Stadium in Denver. Which, by the way, I, so I'm not going to do a game. I have, yeah, and I'm not an expert on stadiums, but we sat on the wall, like in the uh, left field, mm-hmm. and when you're sitting in that position, you're looking back at, at you know the press box and all that, and it's just literally at sunset, it's just purple Rocky Mountains that line the whole back, uh, yeah. like that's your view. It's yeah. one of the prettiest yeah. places I think I've ever yeah. been able to watch any game of any sport. I'm, you know, I've seen a lot of pro games, not baseball. But they brew their own Coors Light beer in the basement there. That's true. Which I'm way more impressed with Coors Light beer <laughs> than with popcorn. Yeah, no good. <laughs> well, so to wind down the baseball talk, Rich, who do you see winning this year? What if you had? What, what's your uh, foresight here? What are we thinking? Well, I mean, it, obviously, I'm, I'm rooting for the Red Sox. Um, I think the Royals have a have a terrific chance to get back. And everyone's um, picking against them again. That's, well, that's, they're, they're picking to win. Th- what third in that that division? I think they got to win eighty four games, that's crazy. and I think the year before how, they got eighty three. Uh, it's ridiculous. People did that last year. How'd that work out for them? Yeah, yeah not too good. Exactly. Uh, <laughs> so you know, Royals obviously the Mets with that pitching staff. It, if with everybody, it if depends on if you keep people st- stay healthy. That's the key thing. And and obviously, I'd I'd love to see my my Red Sox, but uh, uh, the Blue Jays, the Pirates. Um, I'd like to see the Pirates do. I've something. got yeah. Clint, Clint Hurdle was uh, uh, my roommate my very first year of pro ball, and we played together for five, six, seven years in, in Kansas City organization, and there are some other people over there I know too. So, uh, is, Yeah, I mean, they, they're always right there, and they have a yeah. good team. I hope they do something. Yeah, as long as it's uh, anybody but the Yankees and Dodgers. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and the Mets. I don't think the Mets, I think I saw the stat that they've never made the playoffs two years in a row. Uh, that could be. I'm not sure. Um, wouldn't bother me. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> well, as far as fishing goes, you got any uh, fishing trips coming up? Anything? Uh, you, well, you got. Not, sur- you're I having surgery. surgery. Yeah, I had to cut short my last last weekend. We were with our Saluda River Trout Unlimited group. We were up uh, Mountain Rest fishing the Chatuga and the Chaga because we were going to fish at Chatuga and Chaga. And I, my shoulder got so bad, I, I quit it lunchtime on Saturday and came home. Oh, it's, uh, I mean, so it's going to be uh, going to be four months or so. I, I tried, I did some, you know, we were mostly nymphing. I was doing some high stick nymphing with my left left hand, left arm, but. Would you catch any fish before you I, had to call I, quits? I got a few fish, but it was, uh, it was painful doing it. So, uh, so it'll be uh, probably the next time I, I uh, fish for trout will be uh, late July, early August, if I can get up but it's that's tough down here. I, we, we go back up to New Hampshire every year, and I'll I'll do some up there in August. Where's just like your dream trip to go trout fishing if you were to pick oh a place. Oh Lord, uh, well, you got any interest in like traveling like New Zealand? Oh yeah, Argentina? exactly. New, New, New Zealand, absolutely. New Zealand, Patagonia. Um, although I haven't been to Alaska yet, and it's you know well, in the United States, so I got to go cool. there. So uh, yeah, any of those three places, and then. You know, saltwater. I mean, uh, Belize or yeah. I mean, the the fly fishing film tour stuff that was just here was oh my gosh. We'll have to talk you into going on this Mexico trip with us next year oh, that I leave Friday on a little yeah. permit action. Yeah, I need to get my hands on one of those mothership trips to Cuba. That's what I need to do. Yeah. yeah. So, what's some of your favorite rivers to fish up in uh, Western North Carolina? Oh, uh, Tuckasegee, the Nantahala. Oh yeah. Um, what is it? West Fork, East Fork, the Pigeon, um, and 
Wilson Creek. Um, That's my home Mid- water. Mitchell. Um, <laughs> and there's some other little, you know, little, yeah. I love getting out and do little blue liners, you know, and catching the six, so one, six and eight inch wild fish. One thing I can always tell somebody who's a Yankee is when they try to say Natahala. And they always say Nantahala. It's nothing wrong. It's just I how, say it like that too. Yeah, Nantahala. You ain't from North, North Carolina. North Carolinians, we say Natahala. You're missing an in there. Yeah, it just disappears. Doesn't matter. I'm not saying you're saying it wrong. I'm just saying that's not how we pronounce it. Y'all just didn't go to school. Natahala down there. Yeah, you just leave that in out of there. There's no Nantahala. Well, see, you if you come up to New Hampshire, you'd probably say there's a horse over there, and I'd say no, there's a hoss. Yeah, same thing. Yeah, exactly. Regional dialects. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, Wilson yeah. Creek's in my backyard. I was born yeah. and raised in Morganton. Oh, um, I worked Wilson Creek Fly Shop in Morganton, North Carolina, from the time I was 16 till I moved here to go to college. Oh, so. Yeah, we were up there two weeks prior to the weekend at the Chattooga. So uh, uh, that whole watershed's got some great wild trout fishing up yeah. above. It, the I tell DH you what, stuff. that we were up there three, three and a half weeks ago. That the high water flooding and stuff they had last fall really changed the really changed the river. It, about every couple of years, the year before I moved down here. Uh, we had a flood. It was it was the worst flood. Like I, they call it the hundred year flood or whatever. It's worse yeah. than we had in about a century, um, and it actually overflowed one of the dams and it got bad. But there was still for like two years when I'd go up there for Thanksgiving, Christmas, I always sneak up to the DH water right. in Wilson, and for like two years you could look up 25, 30 feet on top of trees and there was just random garbage still sprinkling along the treetops yeah. where it had been coming through there at retarded levels tough to fathom how how deep and how high that you know the water was. it stripped it uh stripped the catawba and it stripped parts of wilson's it looked like somebody just poured bleach in the river because it stripped <laughs> yeah. all the moss off yeah. the force oh, yeah. of the water literally yeah. peeled like it just peeled all the rocks bare i mean yeah. it's crazy how much water comes to there sometimes but it's always good it comes back yeah that's one of my <laughs> that's one of my favorite places now you had a little story a uh, quick story. Years ago, when I was still in uh, in uh, New England, New Hampshire, there used to be a, a big uh, uh, Eastern Outdoor Exposition that was in Worcester, Massachusetts. And Worcester. I, yeah, Worcester. 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 Uh, uh, <laughs> and, they skip uh, a few letters and, when they say that word. Yeah. <laughs> I went down, and Lefty Cray was there giving his uh, casting demonstration instruction, and you know that was all entertaining. And then. At the end, he said, all right, you gave people the opportunity to, to get up on a platform and have five minutes with him instruction. So I waited my time, waited my turn, got up there, and I, he said, let me see. So he asked, have you fly fished before? I said, I fly fished all my life. He said, all right, big boy, let's go. And <laughs> so, 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 you know, lefty's what? Five five, yeah, five I mean, nothing yeah. on a good day. Yeah, on a good day. Yeah. Well, this was back five five and shrinking. We'll give you five six. Twenty five thirty years ago. So yeah. anyway, he's still I, standing I, up. I, I cast a couple times, and he said, "No, no, get your elbow down." And I cast. He said, "Get your dang elbow down." And I stopped and I said, "Lefty, you got to understand." I said, I, "I've been a pitcher all my life, and I'm a pitching coach now. And the number one thing that we tell pitchers is to get your elbow up, your shoulder higher, higher." And he looked at me and yeah. said, "Son." You ain't pitching a dang ball. Get your elbow down. <laughs> nice. Oh, lefty. There you, know you go. Did, you? That's funny. Well, yeah, lefty. Uh, lefty has no problem giving anybody a hard time when it comes to casting. I see. I saw him berate like an eight-year-old one time. <laughs> Tony, like, do what I said. Damn it. Uh, he, he, I was at a show one time. I don't even remember where we were at. It was some show. I was time flies at. And um, lefty was there, and Joan Wolf was there. By the way, I love Joan Wolf. She's she's an amazing lady. Yeah. But. Uh, so Lefty was supposed to, they were supposed to share mm-hmm. uh, demonstration time frame. Yeah, and so Lefty gets up there, and Lefty's long-winded. He's just Lefty. He don't mean nothing by it. He's not trying to be a dick. He's just, he's like me. He gets carried away. 
So he got up there and he did his whole thing, and they, he used up the whole time. And Joan didn't have any time left. So Joan gets up there, and literally she goes, well, since left used up all my time, I guess I'll just say bye. And she dumped. I mean, she had a rod. I don't know what it was, eight weight, six weight, something. She dumped like 130 feet of line out, like out of the pond, over the guard at the back. And they always put the curtain thing up, up over the top of the curtain, just dropped it, and just mic drop on the stage. That's and <laughs> Oh, little and Jones like if Lefty's five six, Jones four nine. I mean she's a tiny little thing, but she's good. I think Scotty told me that that story at the fly shop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She taught me more. She taught me more about casting or helped my cast more than anybody I've ever had work with me by shaking my hand. Like she literally didn't even touch a rod. And she showed me kind of just just hand pressures, like mm-hmm. how yeah. you pressure the cork in different places, and just hold my hand, a little tiny Joan Wolf's hand. I swear to God, I mean, I still teach people that. Like, it made a huge difference. And now it's a little segue into baseball. That's one of the key things about pitching. It's it, it, it's finger pressure. Yeah. Finger pressure. You can make the ball do a, an awful lot with just simple finger pressure. And if you happen to get lucky and get a little scuff on it, then you can do some more. Who <laughs> was uh, accidental? Accidental scuff, of course. Oh yeah, of course. What was that? A couple years ago, that guy and he just had the resin like oh, all yeah. over his hat every time yeah. he said. They oh, were like, there was one hey. guy that had the like he was oh, yeah. out oh, in yeah, the Dominican Republic, and it was real like, dark on his. Yeah, that's, just, that's just to get traction, right? When you're like, yeah, the, 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 the ball. pine the pine tar or the the the, the rosin uh, sun lotion stuff. I've mean, been using that for years and years and years, uh, and that's just to get a grip on the baseball. You know, mm-hmm. especially early in the season when it's cold um, and. There's not a hitter in baseball who will tell you he, he doesn't want the pitcher to have something to get a grip on the ball because he doesn't want to be standing up there at home plate with Take a guy throwing 90 to 100 hey, well, miles the, an hour. The hitters get to have some pine tar. Exactly. You know? yeah, yeah. But that's, that's just a grip. That, that doesn't, doesn't significantly change the flight of the ball. But when you start scuffing and adding foreign substances, then, yeah. you're, then you're good. That's true. Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to ask you a few questions here. Sure. Fire. Now, keep in mind, like, this is, I think they were printed in 1981. <laughs> yeah. And I bought these when I was, like, I think I got them for a Christmas present in, like, 1984 or something when I was okay. a kid. Yeah. And they haven't been touched. Uh, I went back and helped the parents move and all that, so I got these. And you can see how mint condition they are. This is where I get caught. Right. What team's fans got into the park for free? Park, got into the park free for the club's first home game after the 81 strike? Hmm. It was 1981. Um, wow. Give me a hint. Which league? National. At least it was national at the time. It still is. Uh, West Coast. All right. Um, Padres. Bing, 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 bing. Oh, you got it. All right. What Los Angeles Dodgers outfielder won a gold glove in 81? Um, well, first of all, I don't understand this question. Don't a lot of outfielders win gold gloves? No, only three. Three per league. Um, I, I thought any p- position player can win a gold glove. Three outfielder. But it's only three outfield positions. So yeah. it's only three. Three outfielders so in each, each league. So that's crazy that an L.A. Dodger won a... Yeah. Okay. Br- Brett Butler? N- no. Um, Give you one more chance. Uh, 81. I'm trying to think who. Uh, he's, he's managed. I think he actually currently manages. Dusty Baker? I'll be done. Yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Look at this. <laughs> they haven't, like him and Will, which, which they pride themselves on their stat knowledge, have, have tried these cards. They have to go through like 20 cards before one of them will even have like a guess. Oh, uh, we couldn't even <laughs> come close to any of these. Come close. All right. 
Who was the first member of the Montreal Expos to suit up for an All-Star game? Ooh, I didn't get that. Um, I did not know that one. Carl Morton? Rusty Staub. You know what? I was going to say Rusty Staub, Le Grand Orange, but as they call him in Montreal. Yeah, I think I got one. Okay. Uh, The green one's baseball? What much-traveled National League shortstop dubbed Blackie turned to managing? Oh, boy. <laughs> they called him Blackie? Yeah. Was this in the 40s? <laughs> um, drawing a blank on that one. It's Alvin Dark. I oh. get the Blackie thing now. Alvin yeah. Dark. Yeah. Your last name's yeah. Dark. You got yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And okay. uh, let me see. Okay, here's one. What American League record for stolen bases did Ricky Henderson surpass in 1982? So it's stolen bases. Who, whose okay. record did he break for a single season stolen bases in, in the year 1982? In the American League. Yep. 82. Um, he was the athletics. I want to say. Um, mm. Mm. Willie Wilson? No, it's actually his own. Oh, okay. <laughs> trick own. question. Now okay. I got I got two last ones. But would you rather have a oh. pitching question or a hitting question? Yeah, pitching question. Okay. Uh, what Pittsburgh Pirates star beat out Sandy Koufax for MVP honors in '66, despite Koufax's 27 and nine record? Not a pitcher. Oh, he was not a pitcher. He was not a pitcher. It's just Sandy Koufax was involved in that. I didn't oh, know the answer. R- Roberto Clemente. That's it. All right, I got one more. Yeah. And I was amazed by this. What New York Yankees hurler has been tagged with the most World Series losses? Um, probably because he started more games than anybody ever. Whitey Ford. That's it. Yeah. Ding, oh, ding, ding. Right, quick, quick one for you, guy. you guys. Who is the only pitcher to um, start and get decisions in game six of the American World Series and the Japanese World Series? Rich Gale. Rich Gale. Rich Gale. <laughs> ding, ding, ding. <laughs> one and one. One and one. Domo Aragato. Sucked up the loss in mm. 1980. Now, let me ask you this. This is an interesting thing. Cause I saw a trivia question. It said, what was the first professional team to have their own uh, airplane? Now, were you on – when did teams start getting uh, away from their own – Airplanes. Were you a part of baseball on um, teams when y'all had your own plane? I did. I never played for anybody who had their own. I think wasn't it the Dodgers? It didn't say the year, but I didn't know if that was something that they had pretty much switched to commercial aircraft. I remember the movie Major League that they had the old beat up prop plane. Yeah, yeah. They, they were. There was a time um, when they did a lot of uh, they did a lot of charters. Mm-hmm. So I mean, it's they didn't own their own actual plane, but we were the only people on it. Um, so when I came up in 78, it was that way. We, we flew almost all TWA charters out of Kansas City and around. And then the Giants, it was United. And um, it depends on the markets yeah. where you are, too. Uh, and uh, one year with the Red Sox, we had that, that MGM Grand. That was posh. That was posh. Well, speaking of Red Sox and planes and you, I heard a rumor that you might be able to uh, verify the uh, the epic 
saga of the Miller Lights. Uh, the Boz was that what's his name? Wade, Wade Boggs. Boggs. Wade can you can you like 50 yeah? What was the sto- yeah? It's like forty eight or fifty. I've heard so many different numbers. Now was he a Yankee during this process? Or no, he's he Red Sox. He was, he was a Red Sox. Red Sox. There were there were especially on coast to coast flights. There was a always a big at the time big money poker game going on, and I won't mention, <laughs> I won't mention any, any any other names. That's hilarious. But there was uh, I, like just a continuing. I didn't have my uh, I didn't have my clicker pitch counter going as far as Boggsy's total, but um, <laughs> suffice it to say that had I had it in my hand, my thumb might have been a little tired. <laughs> Um, and yes. hey, hey, and I, 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 I had a few beverages on those flights myself. Oh, yeah, yeah, no, we're not picking on him. Now, it's, you, a, it, it's, it's an admiration of mine. Like, this was, man, now I, I love Miller Lite. Like this man is my hero. After baseball, <laughs> for both of you guys, uh, he's a big fly fisherman too. Have you ever had the chance to go out and fish together? No. Um, yeah, he does all of those tournaments in Florida. Yeah. Um, yeah. Bugs and I were never, never close. Yeah. Um, you know, it was. Uh, I never contemplated that I'd get an invitation to go fish with him. And he might not remember you after all those beers. <laughs> maybe, maybe, we'll, maybe we'll get, oh, him, we'll get them both in here for a show. Yeah. yeah. And then just go out red fishing. Flood tide, flood tide will bring it all together. That, he, he'd right. probably remember um, just some of the worst BP he ever had to face You know, when I threw back <laughs> practice to him. And I, now, guys I, didn't like facing me. I, I asked you some random questions during the break, just being a, a baseball junkie, but, uh, like, have you ever been ejected from the game? You said twice. Yeah. Uh, now, the only other thing that I know that, like, pitchers have a huge thing about not wanting their name in the record book, have you ever given up a 500th home run or anything like that? Um, not a 500th. Um, I gave up a base hit for Carl Yastrzemski's 5,000th total base. Oh, wow. Uh, total <laughs> okay. bases. And in Fenway, it was a, uh, I had a guy on first and threw a breaking ball and jammed him. He had a 14 hopper through the hole, first and second. You know, that snuck into right field for a yeah, single. Yeah. That that, was that's, a, and that's almost got to be like a rite of passage for no. you growing up a Red Sox fan. You had to be the fan of the ass. Yeah, well, it was, oh, absolutely. Um, but you know, it was a 14 hopper, real cheapy, real cheapy. Well, he made we'll up for see it. The, grounder. He made up for it the next time because he hit one off the top of right-hand corner of the uh, green monster out there that missed going out by about two feet for a double. So that so, was pretty legit. So 5,001. Yeah. <laughs> two. 5,002. It was a double. Well, Rich, thanks for coming and uh, hanging out with us, man. I've enjoyed it. it. I've enjoyed to, it. Uh, yeah. Get some stories and. Uh, Stick around for old Richard Queso. He'll be here in a second. Are yeah, we ready to dive down? With, you got Richard ready? Yeah. He's out in his van getting warmed up. <laughs> All right. We're going to go uh, to Richard here. All right. So that was Rich Gale. That was awesome. That was that fun. Was fun. Skill, man. His hands are huge. Large hands. Huge hands. Smell like cabbage. I don't know what they smelled like. I didn't sniff them, but they were large. I smelled them. Cabbage. He's a big man. It's fun getting those inside. He he basically just said, well, maybe we can do another show sometime. I've got a bunch of stories about talking with Ted Williams. Yeah, I was like, and how did that not come up? How yeah. did- <laughs> I mean, Ted Williams, mate, yeah, we'll get you back in. Yeah, sure. Let's- it took me a long time to know that when people went fly fishing were talking about Ted Williams, that they were talking about no, Ted Williams. Ted Williams. Like, uh, I, knew Ted, Ted- I knew Ted Williams from baseball man like yeah. that Ted Williams is like a legendary in fluffing there you go yeah. 
So. All right, well, let's get Richard in here. He, he walked in with he, Bridger. What, what's he doing with Bridger? Well, Bridger, Bridger texted me back. He off. said he didn't he didn't want to interrupt the the John Boy and Billy show, as he put it. Uh, but he dropped off. Uh, he picked Queso. up True Blue, then Queso. Yeah, Queso went with him. He yeah. came. Bridger came in, picked up True Blue. Queso jumped in with him. They went for like ten minutes. Limited then, out. Yeah, did I guess they limited out. Came back, parked <laughs> the boat. With queso, it's just like and queso's been cheese. Queso's been in the back right in the beer fridge since, but Bridger breezed in and breezed out. He said he didn't want to interrupt our show, and uh, he'd talk to us later. But uh, He gets a little nervous with the microphones. I guess. Uh, but, yeah, but no, uh, but Queso's still out there. Queso's still around. All right, let's do it. Let's get into it. All right, I'll go get Queso. Y'all get this going. Mail sack, mail sack. Why is there hair in this mail sack? Mail sack, mail sack. Let's all go inside. Mail sack, mail sack. Why is there hair in this mail sack? Mail sack, mail sack. It's This issue of Richard Queso's Mouse Sack brought to you by the fine people at Richard Queso's Red Chicken Cream. Richard Queso's Red Chicken Cream is made from the finest chicken extract oils. They'll solve any problems that comes along like arthritis, tinnitus, tenosis, amblosis, skenosis, all the osises made from pure red chickens right here in the great Palmetto State. Richard Queso's red chicken cream will solve all your owls. Richard, rich and reach into the mail sack. See ya, buddy. Oh, I do love that chicken cream, and I stand by it. I do, I do, I do. I have got a bad case of arthritis myself, mainly in my hands from all the fly tide and fishing over the years. Just dipping in a little chicken cream right before I go to sleep. Got to clean the sheets every morning, but you know what? My arthritis feels a lot better. All right, we're going to do the mail sack here. I believe Paul and Will are going to read the questions. They don't trust my reading abilities. Y'all be gentle with a sack now. read one of them. Oh, I get to read one? Oh, how generous of you. I'll start. All right, Paul. All right, this is from JT in Atlanta. I guess he's scared to give us his full name. <laughs> oh, don't Maybe be scared. Maybe JT is his full name. JT could be a full name. JT. Like Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Justin Timberlake. JTT. <laughs> Justin Timberlake, was, dude. Justin Timberlake. That's a JT, yeah. There are a lot of JTs out there. Oh. Whoa, my, hey, my I man. love Tim Taylor. I didn't know you liked Tom Improvement. Tim Whoa. Taylor. Ho, 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 ho. I, I'm, mis- I'm mistaken. I'm mistaken. The top, I should read. Justin Coleman. Oh, uh, and he works at Sunbelt Rentals Branch Fifty Five, so we can hey, find yeah. him. Not not only do we know his name, we know his manager's we name at this point. I'm gonna hurt you, I'm man. You. <laughs> All right, here we go. All right, let's see the question, Mr. Queso. I don't get to spend a lot of time in the Low Country, but I do spend a lot of time stalking carp on mudflats. Do you have any tips for fly fishing for carp? I realize that saltwater is your wheelhouse. But I figure a fisherman of your caliber should be able to catch fish anywhere. Thanks, JT in Atlanta. Yeah, JT, I do have a, a tip about fishing for carp. It, it, it's don't do it. Uh, I mean, I've never met a more finicky, pain-in-the-ass fish in my life. I mean, they're basically just swimming trash, you know, decomposers. They got big rubber lips, and they swim around in shitty water and eat shit off the bottom. They're, they're terrible fish. Uh, I do understand that people like to catch them because they're big and they run real hard. And when you live in fresh water and you catch a little dinky fish all the time, you got to have something that pulls back. I understand all that. Uh, but 
I really hate the fact that they are called uh, what we call it, Kentucky Bonefish or Tennessee Reds or any other name that associates them with a fish that actually matters. Okay, uh, carp suck. Stop fishing for them. You got you plenty suck. to do there. You got stripers and largemouth, and you've got a lot of stuff in Atlanta to keep you busy. You can even just run a little north. You catch some trout, or you come a little south and catch a redfish, a real one, not one that lives in a shit pond behind a, a, a poop prop possessing plant. They are kind of like the walking dead of all species of fish. You don't. None of them look the same. They all look different and unique. Yeah. You're like, oh my god, look at that one. Awkwardly miserable looking. Yeah. Yeah, just don't go carp fishing. Kind of like a couple of friends in Atlanta when they wake up the next morning from drinking all night. That's JT from Atlanta. Love you, JT. Thanks, JT. I got my beard stuck in. Something's in queso's beard. Yeah, I got some queso on my beard from lunch. All right, Richard. Queso on my queso beard. We've got a question from (laughs) Preston Alor. It's like a paragraph. It's like a paragraph here. Yeah, I saw that when we reached into my bag. I have a short story from (laughs) Preston Alor. Fiction or nonfiction? Yeah, I'm not sure where this is going to go. We're going to try. Dear Richard, last year I took my brother-in-law on a guided fishing trip. I showed up in a normal professional fishing apparel. That's what you have to worry about, professional fishing apparel. I've already got some things to say. Keep going. That included a cooler full of fried chicken, beverages, and a microbrew sixer to leave for the captain along with cash tip. But my brother-in-law showed up to the ramp looking like a douche tool. And his black Nike socks, blue Under Armour cross trainers with black soles, of course, plaid shorts and a different pattern plaid golf shirt, along with cow glasses he picked up at the local bait and tackle slash lube slash spa depot. This guy is a winner. Uh, Needless to say, he's never caught a fish and definitely looked like it. My question to you is this. When you see this guy walking towards your boat, what do you think? Are you excited because you know you have a few double... Double dropper rigs and a loads bucket full of croaker, uh, and a sorry, and a loads bucket full of croaker will yield a large tip. Or are you disappointed because you know you will have to babysit, and every good shot will more than likely be wasted on this guy who talks about fishing when he was a kid with his uncle and his Zebco, bobber and worm. Your llama from another mama, Richard Fromage. Okay, we're going to have another installment of what is Richard going to say, and you're going to be surprised. All right, so I have a lot of problems. Uh, yes, your brother-in-law is not an experienced fisherman. There's some problems there with his uh, his wardrobe. The only one I really saw that I would have cared about as a captain is the fact of the black shoes, but that's easy enough to fix. You just make him take them off so he doesn't scuff up the deck. Otherwise, I'm more concerned with your proclivity to uh, address everybody's wardrobe and assume that that affects anything about the man's ability to catch a fish. Uh, I have caught a lot of fish. I've even caught some naked. So the last time I checked, the clothing doesn't catch jack shit. So when I'm sitting on the dock and I see two people strolling towards me, one of them's in a freshly never-been-worn-before fishing technical shirt with his buff pulled up carrying a microbrew of some company he's never even actually drank before because he thought it impressed me as a fishing captain, and the other one looks like he's going to the gym i assume they're both tool bags and i assume i'm gonna have to hold everybody's hand and you know what i fished with my uncle on worms and caught bluegill too when i was a kid and i enjoy it and i will tell a few stories myself if your brother-in-law wants to indulge me and i don't really care look you paid me to take you fishing uh not to be a fashion coordinator and not to assume things about you based on your fashion choices uh i suggest you be nicer to your brother-in-law uh he just wanted to go have a good time and didn't have the uh, uh understanding of the high fashion of fly fishing that you obviously take upon yourself to be an ambassador for uh 
Luckily, maybe we can use some of the free stuff that you're going to get or the 20% off stuff that you're going to get. Maybe buy a shirt for your brother-in-law. Next time he won't have to show up in the Under Armour. That'd be nice. Richard Queso, here to answer your questions. Now, I'm going to read one myself. The greatest thing about brother-in-law is when you get around them and they make a sexual reference and you're like, dude, grow up a little bit. You're married to my sister. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, the joke is funny until you realize he's, <laughs> he's going to be pounding your sister later. The, the, the crowd is not liking it. Well, hey, look, I'm sorry. I, I don't do well with people just beating up on people in long form or short form. It's just not nice. I got another letter from a guy that said he went on a fishing trip with his brother-in-law, and he said after buying all these new clothes and looking pretty sporty on the boat, this guy showed up with fried chicken and beverages and a microbrew sixer. That's true. Isn't that what we just heard? No, he got a letter from the other brother. Oh, the other brother. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> exactly. Hang on there, Paul. <laughs> Right. I'm following you now. All right, I'm going to dig down deep in my sack now. I'm going to tickle it from the bottom. We're going to see what pops out the top. All right. Uh, Richard Queso. This is from Chip Douglas. Uh, dear Mr. Queso. <laughs> Fake name. Fake. I like guy. it, though. I like it. I'm digging it. Uh, all right, Chip Douglas. It's just skin, Stephen. Uh, you know that, that thing? <laughs> dear Mr. Queso, is buying too many fly reels a proven medical condition that I can seek help for, or is it a personal problem that I should just deal with? Also, is Richard related to the low country fish blaster thanks chip douglas uh chip i don't see a problem uh personally you can never have too many flower reels uh you need a flower reel for every situation um and some people would 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 say perhaps you buy extra spools to cut down on the cost but then you got to change spools just buy extra reels and then just keep them all stacked up you can use them like jewelry uh make a necklace like mr t it doesn't matter there's no problem okay and there's no there's no pill and, and if your wife starts giving you crap just tell her what your case will said to shut up all right i don't know your wife i don't know her nothing all right buy as many reels as you like and if you get tired of any of them you can always just you know i don't know put them on the mantle tell stories about them later like old hats you never throw away old hats you hang old hats up that's a that's a trophy so when you do buy a new reel and you got your old reel you put your old reel up on the mantle so you can tell all the people all the fish you caught on that old reel up there okay don't be throwing things away just keep on buying this is a, a consumer culture this is a consumer culture and as far as the fish price i am not related however i am very good friends uh me and him fish frequently along with our uh Star clientele. You can follow us on Instagram at Low Country Fish Blaster. Uh, it's it's quite entertaining. He's a he's a hell of a man, hell of a man, hell of a fisherman. Uh, really love my my fish blaster buddies. Um, all right, Chip. Uh, so that's it. That is the bottom of the bag for this week. Uh, as usual, if you have questions, uh, good questions that don't demean or demoralize other people who want want to go fishing, uh, you can send them to uh, Richard Queso uh, via the floodtideco.com website or floodtideco on um, Facebook, or you could go to the Barely Live sessions on Facebook as well. Give us a message. You will get 20% off of all uh, one-time order uh, at the floodtideco website. And you can sport you some nice new duds so that you won't get made fun of on the dock. Richard Queso is going fishing. Oh, Richard. Oh, so right. we got a couple of questions. Tell us about this chicken cream you got. Oh, the chicken cream. I did tell you about the chicken cream. I put my hands in it and not. And then no, I tell the me about new venture with this. You know, well, this you know, I, I feel like uh, if I don't, the, it's radio, so I, I can't feel like show you slide you. this stuff in the scoop and we don't even know about it. Like I we, never, uh, yeah, we've never heard about the chicken cream. Look, man, I, I'm not but trying we're to slide. To have advertisers that are actually paying for this. I thing. gave just, scoop a little bucket of the chicken cream. Scoop like uh, the chicken cream. I've, it wasn't my fault. I've, I didn't do any of this. I've heard of blue emu. 
I've never heard of red chicken. Well, red chicken is Trump blue emus. There, there's a there's a chemical imbalance that the blue emu has that the red chicken has been bred out of. So it's it's much better for the red chickens instead of the blue emus. Uh, but if you, you can't see my hands, my hands are wrecked, boys. I I fish a lot and my hands get beat up. I needed something to help with that, and so the the, the red chicken cream does me real good. I like it. So how'd you do with Bridger today? I saw y'all only gone for about an hour. Did y'all limit out already? Well, if you know what you're doing, an hour's more than enough time to take care of it. Uh, yeah, we went out, uh, caught twenty or thirty, and then came on back. We just got bored. We decided we had enough, um, and I had to make the radio show anyway, so I figured twenty would have to do for today. So you know, good old low country fishing. Well, it's always good to see you, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, I do my best. Yeah. Going back out to my trailer now. See you, Richard. Mail sack, mail sack. Why is there hair in this mail sack? Mail sack, mail sack. Let's all go inside. Mail sack, mail sack. Why is there hair in this mail sack? Mail sack, mail sack. Richard was in a weird mood today. Richard's a weird guy. Well, yeah. He is a celebrity. I, I don't get any fan letters. I don't think Paul does. Or I don't ever. Like, huh. Every now and then we get like, hey, when are you all recording again? You know? Yeah. I, I get one of these. That's hey, not that bad mic, man. That guy <laughs> is either like, that guy's a, and then it like goes two different ways. He's polarizing. That, guy, that guy's an asshole or that guy's cool as yeah. hell. They yeah, either love you or hate you, Mike. That's my life in a, in a nutshell. I, I don't care. I think I love you. I think you do too, Paul. We just, we'll talk about that later. Hey, we'd love, I mean, this is maybe just a little self-promotion, but we'd love it if y'all got on iTunes and gave us a little review. That helps us get more visible. Yeah. I mean, the more people so that you, see yeah. us. Just take a second. Get on If you're on iTunes, under there you can review it. And, just, and I'm sure there's a comment field. And, and you know what? We are not going to erase comments. Like no, if you think it sucks, then tell us. Bitch, it. I, hey, look, man. Richard Queso tears in people all the time. You're allowed to tear in us. If you don't like what we're doing, you let us know. It also helps us ripping and tearing ripping and tearing it helps us figure out what we're doing wrong so if there's something you know you don't have to email richard you can email paul well, we ain't or gonna Will. listen to that but we ain't gonna just let it, we want to know we gotta let them think they're involved paul you yeah we ain't me. changing anything but <laughs> yeah and god forbid get on floodtyco.com and order some uh some of these cool products coming out the shirts and shorts are pretty that's awesome. what really keeps this radio show going that's what really keeps it going <laughs> um other than the bills that come in uh, yeah um, we ain't got no water anymore <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's fade out of this thing. We did it. All right, we did it. It was good. First time in three weeks. I thought it went all right. Yeah, well, I'll see y'all in two weeks. I don't know if y'all are going to do a show next week, but I'll be in the Everglades. How I'll, can we? We'll be both back from our trips, and we'll be back from his... I'll life. be back from the day before at the office. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Will, don't think you're not appreciated. <laughs> I'm not appreciated, goddammit. <laughs> Bailey's from a shoe.